episode i think what do we say 97 of the upper memory block podcast uh i'm back and i'm better than ever hooray uh we are here with uh our sixth patreon hangout because uh me doing a real show is still too much work ha <laughs> ha that's not true but uh <laughs> but uh you know we were supposed to originally have this hangout it was scheduled everyone had said yes blah blah, blah back on like october 10th or something and uh hey on october 4th i unexpectedly had a baby three and a half weeks early or my wife did i didn't have a baby that would be weird <laughs> <laughs> so this and time around challenging yeah exactly well there was a movie about that wasn't there with arnold schwarzenegger junior it sucked <laughs> it was oh, bad man. it was not a good movie but uh yeah so this time we're doing uh kind of the the big uh, overhanging topic that everyone kept wanting us to do and i always kept saying no and uh, so we're going to talk about game music, game sound, sound hardware, anything that we have to say about sound. And uh, we may play some audio if that still works and if YouTube doesn't block us. But uh, let's get to it. We've got a pretty big, uh, pretty big crew this time. So I'll start from, uh, from the left on my little uh, grid down here. So we can start for, with introductions from a good friend and uh, guest, uh, inaugural guest podcast host, Amaria Dakago. Hi, I'm uh, here again for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason. We love having you here. Next up, we've got oh, Brian. Thanks very much. Yeah. Hey, hey, glad to be here. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, Brian, not sorry, Ryan. Bri uh, Brian. Brian. That's hilarious. Sorry. <laughs> Two Brian's. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you're Ryan, is that right? Yeah, no B. Okay. A y, not an I. When I had there a friend, uh, <laughs> a Ryan friend, and not a Ryan, they uh, did the joke of uh, they called me B Ryan. There you please go. Don't, please don't do that. Be Rye. This we will be the last it. time I probably interrupt when you are trying to talk to Brian. We all need to enunciate. Be Ryan. <laughs> Next up, we have Craig. Be the Ryan. Next up, we've got Craig. Say hello, Craig. Hello, Craig. <laughs> and next, new contributor, and uh, I'm a big personal fan of his, Mr. Jim. Oh, howdy. Mr. I like Mo to do things with old games and old computers. Yes, Mr. Moby Gamer himself. That's me. All right. Next up, we have a picture of me wearing a bike helmet, so we'll skip that because I already said hi. And next up, we have Ryan. I said hi. I'll say it again. <laughs> Hello. Hey, what's up, Ryan? <laughs> and finally, our pal Tomer, who may be less drunk than usual because uh, trolls couldn't make it this time. Yeah, there there will be no good natured goading uh, and swear jars this turn this time around. I don't know. I'm trying to feel disappointed, but in reality, it probably means a better show. So, <laughs> or a smoother show, at the very least. Uh, yeah, a lower, you know, PG rating show. It's all good. These are. Uh, I know it's like afternoon for me, but uh, these are sort of the after dark UMBs, even though it's the middle of the day. So, uh, I guess we should get right into it. I know everyone probably has a lot of stuff to talk about. So I don't know if we want to structure it in any particular way or do we just want to start talking about, you know, some some favorite game music that we've all got or, or anything like that? What, who, wants, who wants to go first? Well, I wanted to start with talking about the PC speaker. Okay, well, I think that sounds perfectly reasonable. Um, sounds perfectly reasonable. See what you did there. Ha-ha! <laughs> 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 I, uh, I, uh, 
spoke about this in our earlier hangouts that um the 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 poor quality PC speaker is why I upgraded my sound card before I upgraded my video card because I, I for some reason could deal with low quality video. I'd play the Atari twenty six hundred and stuff. I was used to that, but the speaker sound was just so absolutely awful on most games that I just couldn't stand it. But um I don't know, does anybody know much about the hardware of this the PC speaker? Not at all. Let's see, I know, yeah, I know a little bit about it, but if somebody knows more, they can talk. Go, about Jim. Go. It. Yeah, so I know, I know quite a lot about it. Tomer, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? Uh, no, I was just going to say that normally I'm the one kind of representing the the hardware um, slash software engineering uh, portion of the crowd. So I'm like the stickler to technical details and such. Uh, when it comes to sound hardware and the PC speaker specifically, um, I. I there's probably maybe a couple people in the world who are more knowledgeable than Jim is. So, you know. Now you're putting me in a spot, and I can't make well, a mistake. Well, yes. Impressive. No, no, no. You're allowed to make mistakes. Just, All you right. know, not, not big ones. Under pressure. <laughs> no pressure. But we won't promise not to laugh if you get things wrong. Oh, you laugh all you want. All right. So the PC speaker. Speaker in the PC is pretty much no different than that in... Uh, any other system that has no sound chip like a Spectrum, except that uh, you can pulse it on or off. What makes the PC speaker a tiny amount more controllable is, is that it is uh, tied to the 8253 timer chip in the PC. So you can the timer chip uh, counts, and then once it reaches the end of its count, it can do something. So the typical way, when you hear like a beep, is that it counts down at, at uh, twice the rate you gave it, and then uh, a line goes high, which pulses the speaker, and then it counts down again, and then the line goes low and pulses it again. So this pulses here, here's my real-time graph here, will pulse it high, then low, then high, then low. And so you get a square wave out of it. Uh, what I enjoyed is when people tried to do things other than just the square wave. So there's a second interface to the speaker, which is you can manually bit bang a port and pulse it on or off you know, under software control. And uh, that was used for some multi-channel uh, engines. I don't know if you've ever played with a uh, music construction set with PC speaker output, or if you've ever done, uh, there are some games that have uh, multi-channel music engines in the beginning, like, uh, actually made some notes here, prepared. Ooh. Like, uh, uh, I, was, I was actually thinking of uh, Access Software's games that have real sound. Well, I was getting to that, actually. There's the, that's ah. the third mode that you can do. Um, okay, so the third I thought, mode I is that was part of that. Sorry. Oh, no problem. The third, the third thing you can do on the PC with the speaker is you can, uh, the timer can count down a very small amount and then, so you can give it very small values. So you can pulse it just a little and then off and then a little and off again. And if you do that at the rate that you're outputting your digitized sample, that's a method of sound generation called pulse width modulation or PWM. Uh -huh. And that is what real sound used. Um, in fact, uh, well, I won't pull up a diagram right now because I'm on a roll, but the <laughs> <laughs> um, real sound was the one that popularized that technique. Uh, they did a few things that made it sound a little bit better um, compared to other games. There were actually many games before Access that used digitized oh, yeah. sound through the speaker. Um, you can, I think the earliest using PWM was something like uh, Crazy Cars. Anyone remember Crazy Cars or oh, yes. Wiz? Whizball. Yeah, but I think Barbarian was probably even earlier. 
Um, well, Barbarian was around the same time, but it used uh, bit banging, and it, uh, which is pretty much like a one-bit speech-only method. So it's really loud, but it's also very distorted. So that's why you only use it yeah. speech. But those actually, actually, I have a question. Barbarian. Oh. That goes back all the way to the dawn of IBM PC gaming. There were two early games that used bit banging speech. And this was even before Wolfenstein on the PC. Um, I'm thinking of Dunzin, Warriors of Raz, if that, no one probably knows what that is. And another one is uh, Zorian Siege, spelled C Z O R I. I think that's right. Yeah, C Z O R I A N Siege. And uh, those yeah. must have been way before my time. Well, unfortunately, they're not before my time, so uh, <laughs> that dates me, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, those were 80, 1982. And uh, Wolfenstein for the PC came out in '83. So, yeah, but uh, I, I was just saying sorry to interrupt again. It's all right. But uh, I, I had a question. Uh, you mentioned those three different methods of sound generation. What exactly is the difference between the second and the third you mentioned? In the second, where you have a port where you can manually toggle the control, then it's completely up to the CPU. So uh, you can, I, it's, I don't know how far back to go. So for example, if you wanted to generate multi-tone uh, output like a music engine, the CPU can uh, go into a tight loop where it's calculating the frequencies of notes and then mixing that together and toggling the speaker manually. So it's a difference between the CPU code doing all of the manual turn on, turn off signals, or the third method for digitized speech. All the CPU does is um, every, let's say you wanna play a 9,000 Hertz sample, 9,000 times a second, all it does is send a byte to the timer. And it's the timer's uh, responsibility to pulse it uh, with the exact value that you gave it. So it's like a mixture of timer and software control. And it's that mixture that makes uh, real sound games when they play a sound on a really slow machine, like this guy over here, the whole machine locks up because there's not enough time to do anything else. But on faster systems like 286s and 386s, that's how real sound was able to play in the background. There is, those CPUs are faster and they can, they can send the bytes to the timer and also other stuff. Hopefully that okay. answered your question. Have you ever heard of yeah. Will Harvey's music construction set by EA? Uh, yes, I have. In fact, I had a hand in, in cracking it and releasing it. <laughs> wow. Um, I remember things at a friend's house where they were playing with it. Uh, and I think maybe we had 286s or something. And, and it, I couldn't, you know, this is, I, again, I was talking about how much I hated PC speaker sound. And I was very confused about how come, you know, EA's put out something that can make great sound, but the EA games at the time had horrible sound. And yeah. I guess it's that, that, that 8088 compatibility still, maybe, like you talked about, or? I don't know if it's compatibility. I think that um, everybody had their, nobody was sharing information. There was no, there was no internet in the 80s. I mean, there was, but people weren't using it for, you know, sharing. We have a, we have very much an information sharing culture in, you know, in 2010 and later, and that didn't exist in the 80s. So everybody was quite literally doing their own thing. I did a little bit of research on Real Sound for an article that has not yet been published, and uh, Real Sound was somewhat famous for a second reason. Access patented the technique that they were using to output digitized sound through the speaker, and they actually sued other companies that were doing the same thing. So um, there's another. Uh, there's one guy I, I talked with, uh, Bill Volk, 
who had a hand, he was a producer over at Activision. He had a hand in creating a manhole, porting manhole over to DOS. This was right. a, a cyan uh, uh, game before they did Mist. Yeah, kind and of like their, pro, their proto game, their proto Mist. Their proto Mist, exactly, proto Mist. And they, uh, Bill Volk intentionally created a completely different way of outputting digitized sound through the speaker to stick it to access so that they couldn't sue him. Um, so I researched real sound and found that there were a lot of different, the point of this is that there were at least 12 games that also did sound exactly the way Access did, but they did it earlier, but they they all have slightly different software constructions. Like they were all trying to figure it out. One of them used frequencies that cause your head to shake apart because they're so low you can hear the carrier wave when you use pulse width modulation. Uh, other time they used very tight software loops and they didn't use the timer at all. So nobody used the same method. And as far as I know, even though a music construction set came out, was produced by Electronic Arts, Electronic Arts didn't like make that engine available as like a module you could buy or plug into other games or anything like that. So it really was up to, to everybody. Some, uh, uh, some games ported over from the Spectrum, ported over their Spectrum music engine code. So if you play a game like Saboteur 2 or uh, Fantastic Dizzy, um, and you it, those output their title music through the speaker, and it sounds identical to the ZX Spectrum because it is in fact the same code. I, I don't actually recall Saboteur 2 having any music. Um, I can set up my fancy mixer and play some for you if you like. Yeah, it's probably on YouTube. No need to. Not, not for that particular game anyway. I love it. But <laughs> it, would, not for it would probably make your ears bleed. I mean, yeah. while it's technically impressive to me, and I can appreciate the coding behind it, it's not, it doesn't sound that great. So, yeah, it's, it's worth noting that, uh, you know, one of like the takeaways from uh, from Jim's kind of extensive technical uh, overview of the whole thing is that you get a lot of different games or, or demos or whatever that use the PC speaker, and almost every single one of them sounds like completely different, whether it uses, you know, uh, polyphonic sounds or like uh, uh, PWM samples or anything of the sort. It's just they sound very different. You have like Mach 3 is one of the canonical examples of. Uh, oh, yeah. I was speaker. thinking of that earlier. That thing sounded amazing back then. Yeah. There was also from the same company another game called Disc, which was sort of loosely uh, inspired. Yeah. Well, very Both inspired by, by Tron, but loosely yeah. based on Tron. Uh, Both made by Lori Seals, uh, a French company. Seals. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You're forgetting, uh, you're forgetting probably the Lois best Seale, one. Lois Seale, one of the two. I don't know. Lois Seale. Which, which one? Space Racer. Oh, yeah. It had the best music, but in my opinion, the shittiest gameplay of the bunch. <laughs> well, correct. But when you are when you have no sound card and you're judging partially what game you should play based on how good it sounds, uh, sometimes that bubbles <laughs> to the top. There is that. So in that vein, uh, my favorite PC speaker game, uh, which I think I introduced to Jim maybe 20 years ago, um, actually doesn't use any of those techniques. It's just a straightforward kind of uh, slightly more than interesting beeps out of the PC speaker, and that's a, a game called uh, Savage. Now, the thing about that is there's versions of Savage for pretty much every platform on Earth, and for some reason it's the Amiga version that tends to be most famous for its music. 
even though the music on that one I feel kind of sucks. Uh, the PC version has like a completely separate PC only soundtrack that doesn't sound anything like anything else on Earth, pretty much. Yeah, because I'm seeing a lot of C64. Uh, there's a C64 version. There's Amiga. I think it's on the CPC as well. There's like a bazillion. RESD. Yeah. And they all sound different, but all are kind of closely modeled after the Amiga version, with the exception of the, in my opinion, in my opinion, vastly superior PC version. <laughs> because it had great music. It really did. Yeah. Huh. That's so uh, uncommon. Here. Find find that. so, so is it is it this guy? Let's see if this comes across. You should hear it in a second. Yes. Yeah, that's not bad. Oh, yeah, this is just gameplay. <laughs> it's not the actual music. No, actually, that's this is actually gameplay music. You get that in game. And this is pretty good for the time, considering. Like, cool. There's an actual yeah, tune. There were some games out there back then with the kind of boopy PC speaker music that, you know, they might have been loud, but they weren't half bad to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, arpeggiating between uh, two or three simulated channels, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah what he is... said. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's exactly what you just heard, kind of the, the, the very quick alternations between notes. Yeah. Yeah, you got that a lot. You here's, actually here's, that here's, Ma here's Mach 3 because I like this one too. So we'll just get oh, yes. a second. Oh. Great. Nice. I'm air guitaring right now. <laughs> Headbag. I guess it's a good thing you don't have a camera then. <laughs> we, we might might have been forced to make fun of you. It's all good. All right, yeah, that's a nice one. You can still make fun of me if you want. I don't care. IDGAF. <laughs> we make fun of you all the time. We just don't let you know. There you go. <laughs> I'm used to it. So uh, I think I mentioned this on either an earlier Hangout or possibly on Square Waves. Um, the first... I think example of good PC speaker sound that I've run into is actually a demo scene production from a group called the Sorcerers, uh, which is called Atom, uh, as an A-T-O-M, um, which used a digital, uh, digitized sample from uh, a very kind of well-known uh, pop song of the time. Uh, Jim, do you know the one? Like, I don't. I, could, I can fire it up in DOSBox if people are curious to uh, see and hear it. That'd be cool. All right. I will work on that. All right. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a text mode demo. There's uh, letters across the screen and all sorts of. Uh, yeah, I think someone may have noticed uh, mentioned this on a previous uh, hangout. Actually. No, probably. The, th the thing that goes uh, forever and ever. That's, yes, that's, that's the way. it. Yeah. yeah, I think you did mention it on a previous hangout. So I'm finding a slow tornado in strawberry fields. I don't know if that's the one. This might be a different one. Uh, I have no idea. Oh no! This is like so that's that's the first I've ever run into. Kind of, hey, this thing can you know make sound that does not blow my head off. Doesn't sound like bleeps and farts and <laughs> yeah. So well, <laughs> well, Jim is uh, setting that up. Any any other kind of examples of good PC speaker usage? Well, my example is uh, horrible use. 
not not necessarily good, but I have a nostalgic one: the License to Kill game for uh, for DOS, based on the James Bond movie. Okay, I don't even think I knew that which, existed. Uh, which did have a variation on the Bond theme right at the beginning. Um, I was I was actually looking up a video just now. Uh, the entire theme doesn't really play in this one, but you can hear at least a snippet of it, uh, get an impression of what it sounds like. Posted it in the chat now, right now. I don't know if Joe can see it. Yeah, I can see it. Joe, you want to put that on? I will, sir. Thank you. I'm, I'm juggling between like uh, three different browser windows. <laughs> there we go. You have a joystick? Yes or no? There we go. <laughs> I mean, that sort of sounds like the Bond theme, I guess. It's twice as fast. Maybe I should uh, play yeah, that. It, it, does, it does have kind of a nice beat to it, I guess. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's another game that came out on a whole slew of home computer systems at the time, and the DOS version was kind of one of the worst uh, ones. But you know, that's the one that's I played, actually, so it is nostalgic for me. It's actually a pretty cool sound for a PC speaker. You yeah, know, and and let's face it, it's the shit thing, right? It can't... You have to push it beyond its, uh, like beyond its limitations to get anything even remotely reasonable out of a PC speaker. Yeah, exactly. But I said it's like the PC speaker is like HTML. Like it's it's this thing that was meant to do one thing, like make a beep when you did something, basically. It, it, and we made it do a million other things that it was never designed to do, which is super cool. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, I've got Adam ready. If you want me to, yeah, fire give it a, give it a go. Can you see my screen okay? Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, when I play this, I can't, to avoid massive echo, I'm actually going to shut down uh, you guys. So I won't be able to hear you. <laughs> but I promise I won't yeah. let it run for more than 30 seconds. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Here it goes. Hopefully this is coming through. Yes, it is. You, you can't hear a signal. It is. But loud and clear. <laughs> yeah. But the, some, some, as you can tell, I looked it up after the uh, after the fact. Uh, the one hangout that was mentioned. So as you can it tell, it sounds like it crap, pretty neat. But uh, it was amazing for its time because you know. How about them apples? It, it no, couldn't no, do, that. do that. Said so what? Okay. Okay. Now, now we're going to see go. Did it come through okay? Yeah, yeah it came, it through, came through. Cool. Who's got the echo? I, I think that might have been Jim because he uh, had to do. Okay, I think we're good now. The sound to come through. Yeah, but it's gone now. But yeah, okay. and I mean, it, it's it's crazy, right? Because that sounded like fine. It was low fidelity, but it was a sample. Like that was that was digital audio, effectively. Well, it also helps that it comes up, uh, came through DOSBox, so it doesn't sound entirely like uh, how it would coming out of an actual PC speaker. Well, on PC speaker, you couldn't even turn down the volume. Am I correct? Yeah, exactly. Well, correct. you could if you if you hacked a what is it a Rio stat into it. You could add in a volume <laughs> I, knob. I hacked duct tape over it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work too. <laughs> or just unplugged it. It didn't make it. Well, I wanted to at least know when it was trying to beep at me, but so. While I've got the the floor here, my experiences were with uh, id games, and ah. they didn't they didn't put any of this effort that you guys are talking about. You guys are showing like examples of tricks and 
and all the stuff to make it better. And my understanding with id was that with as far as PC speaker went, they even for Commander Keen didn't bother doing anything besides some blips and bloops because they said it just took up yeah. too much of their uh, the resources of the computer. Carmack was well, never, wasn't a, fact isn't a sound guy. <laughs> Yeah. Also, like the, they had to rework basically everything they do for Sound Blast or AdLib or whatever. You have to redo it from the ground up for PC speakers, so that takes a lot of effort. Yeah, so all my game experience was just literally just some, some bleeps and bloops. While you guys were playing all your fancy stuff, I'm like, am I remembering this wrong? So I pulled up you know, the Wolfenstein 3D with PC speaker sounds, and yeah, it's just a, a bleep here, a bloop there. Uh, yeah. I mean, they didn't, I, have, I, they I, didn't I, have soundtrack on PC speaker? There was no Bobby Prince stuff no no <laughs> nope <laughs> just the sound effects i remember they even had pc speaker sound effects in doom of all things yeah they did as, as late as that yeah so did anybody have an experience with the uh, candy 1000 i did sorry what game yeah. i did uh well the, the system the computer i got a, at a, a buddy who had a candy 1000 so, and his sound before, good, before, before you switch to candy uh just one more thing about the pc speaker because to, to kind of close it off i think uh i would be remiss if i hadn't mentioned and, and jim probably didn't because he's uh embarrassed to have been part of that production uh I'm pre impressive though it may be uh that uh, what was it two years ago um a British guy called Andrew Geno, uh, in conjunction with Jim and a bunch of other very talented people, managed managed to uh, actually get a, a four-channel Amiga module player up and running through the PC speaker on an actual IBM PC. Nice. So there's yeah. a whole write-up about that, and it's, like I don't know if I, I got the point across of how monument monumentally impressive, like from a technical standpoint, that is. Um, but yeah, the PC speaker has been pushed even further uh, out of its bounds. I, re I remember some old mod players uh, we had back in the day for DOS actually had PC speaker sound as well, but I reckon this is even more advanced then. No, it's uh, th this runs on like a, a proper IBM PC and those ones that you mentioned, and there's quite a, quite a slew of them. Uh, Galaxy player, Inertia player had the PC speaker support. Um, and a bunch of games as well supported that, but they all required at the very, very least uh, 286 to... Oh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the module player in 888 miles per hour is, it uses 99.9% .9 of the system's resources. Uh, it When it plays, there are some credits that scroll up, and that's because that's that's all the time we had left. Out of one full second of, out of one frame of playing a mod, uh, there are 50 cycles left over. So you can put a character on the screen. And so that's why the characters go like this very slowly and then occasionally scrolls. So that's uh, maximizing the, the system. Yeah, so you literally like used every ounce of, of juice that they could have. <laughs> it was not... crying uncle when we were finished. <laughs> this, um, this I is... was kind of surprised that your, uh, that your PC didn't melt when you played the thing at the party. <laughs> but... old, old systems don't have heat sinks. Yeah. Their heatsink is the world. <laughs> this is going to go off topic a little bit. Can you, you guys can hear me, right? Yeah, perfectly. Of course we can. Um, this is jumping way ahead to sound cards, but when I was doing um, testing and engineering uh, at Creative in 94, 95, one of my coworkers actually built a mod player that used the memory of the AWE32 uh, that you had the two slots that had, you could put up to 28. 
uh, megs of memory into it. I know 28 doesn't work. It's two 16s, but it can only address 28. But he made a mod player that actually used the memory of that to play mods. Oh, sweet. Never released. Cool. Only us in engineering got to play with it, but it was a, it was a little, a cool little toy yeah. for us to hang out with. Yeah, don't worry about it. The, the demo scene, dude, it's probably like six months to get a module player out that supported that exact um, replay mechanism on the yeah. AWE32. Early wavetable. Super cool. Awesome stuff. So we want to roll back okay. to the yeah, Tandy so. there, Brian? Or? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I was just saying that, like, the only game that my friend had that really I remember recognizing this was uh, RoboCop. We both had RoboCop on our PCs. And the DOS version, you know, again, sounded awful the way I was playing it with PC speaker. And uh, he had it on, um, on the Tandy 1000. That was one of the games he had that supported his specific sound. And I don't know anything about the hardware. I just knew it sounded way better. And this was before any of us had sound cards. So does anybody know what the deal was with that? Why Tandy sounded so much better? Tandy had uh, three channels instead of the PC speakers one, yes? That's correct. Uh, the Tandy 1000 uh, copied its sound hardware from the IBM PC Junior, and both of them used a Texas Instruments SN76496 chip. No need to look that up. It had uh, three square wave channels, so it was like three PC speakers instead of one. And uh, it also had a fourth noise channel that was either limited if you used it by itself or flexible if you tied it to one of the sound channels. So then you would have two sound channels and then a very flexible noise channel. And uh, there are a lot. I've got, yeah. uh, I've, got, I've got the DOS version here, which is yeah, sort of me. And then I've got the tan. Actually, the, the Ro Robocop yeah, game back then, when I was a kid, actually uh, scared the crap out of me for one reason, the little, little frame at the beginning uh you get of robocop walking out of the flames ah yeah, i, can see <laughs> I don't know why in hindsight it seems ridiculous but there yeah hey kids you know you got an active imagination so here's tandy a little more so yeah you've definitely got the more channels more complex sounds yeah, so as a kid i was like what the crap why does it sound so much better on your computer my computer sucks that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a good thing none of your friends had an amigo then no, I don't. I know nobody with Amiga. I don't know if it's just a Midwest thing or what, but I don't know. No, it's a, it's a North American thing, apparently. I don't know because I didn't know anyone with an Amiga either. I knew friends with C64s, but never Amigas. Everyone, I never, everyone I knew had ever, PCs. Ever come close to seeing an Amiga until I attended a computer club meeting with my brother? Which is kind of strange because Amigas were extremely. You're in the north of the Netherlands, right? Uh, south Netherlands, but yeah. I'm, I'm, a European, I'm European at any rate, and I had never, ever, ever seen an Amiga until that uh, day. Oh, like I saw Tandys cool. everywhere because you walk by a Radio Shack, and it was in the, it was always in the I, right in the entrance, you know, playing some some little demo thing. So yeah, but you yeah, don't. I've see, never seen a Tandy at all. Yeah, you don't see Tandy 1000s outside of North America, basically, certainly not in Europe. The reason they were so powerful, uh, popular, is because there were uh, there were Radio Shacks in every mall. Oh yeah, and every, yeah, and they would play exactly. So Joe knows what I'm talking about, and they'd have your, they'd have demos of the systems right up in front, usually a Sierra game, and uh, they were cheap and they were compatible, and you could service them right there. So uh, they they were really popular for a very long time. So Tandy claims that uh, what was it King's Quest was made by their request to show off the Tandy hardware. Is that true? No, was that the PC Junior. No, it was the P. It was the PC Junior. So yeah. I. 
IBM contacted them and commissioned them to create a game that would fully utilize the 16 color graphics and three voice sound of the PC Junior. And uh, they did, but it because the PC Junior didn't sell well, that game didn't sell well, and they uh, had put a lot of the resources into it, and they almost had a lot of financial difficulty until they ported it to the PC and then later the Tandy 1000, which uh, happened to the Tandy 1000 is a clone of the PC Junior. A lot of people don't know that. That's where the actual graphics and sound come from, and it was the massive success of those two ports that got them back in the black. Right. So I guess we mentioned Sierra. So I think for me, that was sort of kind of the the, the best at the time PC speaker music that I had heard because they're I mean they're very simple melodies, but they're they're memorable. Like everyone remembers. The Space Quest 1 theme, everyone remembers the Larry theme, you know. What I actually remember of Space Quest 1 the most, uh, what was kind of a running gag with me and my family at the time, was the very first thing you hear when you start the game after, you know, the logo and everything, is when Roger comes out of the closet and goes, boop, <laughs> and then the alarm sounds, <laughs> I, I always love that for some reason. No, it's great. I mean, they were they were definitely, I think, you know, able to use the the limited resources to maybe not in a very creative way or in a very groundbreaking way, but they kind of took what was there and and they made good, you know, they made good sing, good sound, good music out of it. Like here's here's Space Quest One. Everyone knows this. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and there's you know, there's I've, nothing I've, to this. It's it's one channel. It's one melody, but it's it sticks with you, right? Oh, definitely. But I found, I found it interesting years later to use DOSBox in Tandy mode to go back to those games and listen to them with three-channel sound. Yeah, because it definitely sounds better with those extra two channels. But not all games supported that Tandy mode, right? Hardly. Uh, I think pretty did. much every uh, original AGI and SEI Zero game uh, supported those. Uh, see, Tandy. my friend who had a Tandy didn't play those games, so that'd be why we never... Mm. Yeah, it was. It was. If it wasn't a Sierra game, it was usually something that you like stumbled into. There are a couple of games that didn't advertise PC Junior or Tandy sound support, but then when you play them on that hardware, suddenly you're hit with a new soundtrack. And even even now, when I do my software preservation archival stuff, occasionally I will stumble onto a game I never knew had a Tandy soundtrack, and so I'll play it for two hours and exhaust it. Yeah, I was actually uh, one time a friend of mine. Uh, was talking about civilization of all things, and I'm not, uh, he was talking about one version he had never heard before or since that had different sound from what he was used to. And I actually discovered civilization has Tandy sound support. Cool, I didn't know that. But yeah, yeah, so here's so here's the Tandy. I actually, person, actually personally went and tried that out in DOSBox, and it sounds pretty good. Cool. So yeah, here's here's the Tandy Space Quest one, which is it's more fun, you know. It's got that little the little bassy line thing. And now I'm bobbing my head like a moron, but anyways. <laughs> we all were. Well, I was anyway. So well, we were talking about Sierra. I don't know if it's people ready to talk about it, but is 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 it true that Sierra's is kind of a driving force with AdLibs um, success? In games, I would agree. Um, the AdLib originally came out as a music composition system, and that's what all their marketing was. And yeah. then it was in, in 1988 when, when King's Quest IV came out, and Ken, Ken had gone uh, to a, uh, 
a Japanese game show and had seen all these games with wonderful music. And he came back with that saying, we need to ha have some sort of that initiative in our company. So King's Quest four had a hot bath ad lib support and it had IBM. They were still dedicated to IBM for, for helping them get out, you know, get out of financial difficulty. So that's why it also supports the IBM music feature card, which was a music only card from IBM. And then of course the Roland MT 32. So Sierra had a, a big, uh, they, I would say they're probably fifty percent of the reason that that we have sound cards in in gaming. <clears throat> they used to do a lot of advertising um, and and sold the ad lib directly from them initially. They did, yes. So Tomer, did you say you wanted to talk about ad lib? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of hijack the conversation a little bit to say that uh, when it comes to uh, FM sound and specifically ad lib or Sound Blaster, like pre-Wavetable uh, Sound Blaster sound. Uh, there really is only one game you should care about, and that's Dune. I was uh, going to say, if, if, if Anatoly was here, that's what he would be saying. So, in that, in that well, thing, since he's not here, we're going to gush in his place, because <laughs> fuck yeah, Dune is amazing. Yeah. And so, so is the oh, soundtrack nice. that Tomer's holding up. So when the game um, when the game came out, the the musicians there, uh, Stefan Peak. I'm probably gonna mispronounce the name because no, it's I think French that that sounds accurate. Yeah, I don't French. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Stefan Peak and uh, Philip Ulrich, uh, which I'm, I'm assuming is German, but I don't really know, uh, composed the soundtrack for this game, and it is uh, it's one of those like masterpieces of computer game music. I have a whole bunch on my list, uh, which I assume we may or may not get to at any point, but uh, certainly uh, Dune is like the example of how to take a really, really amazingly composed soundtrack uh, that actually came out on CD along with the game uh, and sort of translate it to FM sound. And like the FM soundtrack, is not inferior to the CD version at all. It's a little bit different. Oh, no, they, it's got a bit of they, a different. They both have their uh, good parts, definitely. But Adlib, amazing, amazing sound. So would we get too nerdy if we asked to define what what the difference is with FM and what we've been dealing with before that? I think that's a great idea. Uh, sure. So fun fundamentally. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm distracted yeah, I'll stop, by the I'll music stop, in the I'll background. Stop the music. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure I understand the, the technicalities of it enough uh, to bother. But fundamentally, it's about the the way that that sound synthesis is actually performed. Uh, FM being frequency modulation. So, uh, whereas the PC speaker was limited uh, in frequency range and only had basically one square wave that could go on or off at any at you know, a limited range of frequencies, but hypothetically at any frequency, uh, what you would have with the OPL2 chip uh, from Yamaha that, that was kind of the mainstay of PC sound in the AdLib and Sound Blaster era, um, what you would have is a programmable chip where there's a number of channels and each one of these channels uh, can produce one of uh, a variety of waveforms. So you'd have uh, square waves, uh, sine waves, Saw, sawtooth waves, or saw waves as they're often called, uh, or um, I don't think the AdLib actually had like a white noise generator. Jim, did it? Do you remember? It does. Yeah, it does. It does. Oh. 
And I think um, it, I think it can do triangle waves as well. Oh, okay. Well, so there's a variety of waveforms you can generate, and also you can apply operators on them. So there's like the the classic kind of attack, sustain, decay envelope, or the the slightly more uh, um, well capable four variant one. Um, but the bottom line is that you can just program like beyond having several more channels to work with, you can actually program the sound card to to produce much more complex sounds out of those channels. Uh, furthermore, the AdLib had uh, another mode by which you'd have, uh, I think, six of those programmable channels, but also five percussion channels, uh, which is like a different uh, form of synthesis that's aimed to produce like drums and snares and that sort of thing. Um, so that that's kind of a, a shallow, not too technical overview of the whole thing. But the, the the bottom line is, what you get is musicality. You get complexity. You get variation. You can do a lot of different things with this card that you could not do with the PC speaker. One we weren't hacking it anymore, kind of a thing. Before well, we were yeah, you, the PC speaker to sort of make some semblance of music, and like Jim said, the AdLib was released as a card with which to make music. Yeah. So when I was a kid, oh, go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm pretty much I was going to say when I was a kid, you know, I knew one guy in AdLib, another guy at Sound Blaster, and um, my memory of the perception was his AdLib had better sound, but the Sam, uh, music, sorry, but the Sound Blaster had better sound effects. Does, it was that so that is correct? Because they use practically the same hardware. I mean, there are small variations, like uh, even, even to completely identical chipsets to drive the sound generation can sound a little bit different with like different clocks or, or clocks with more jitter or different uh, op amps or like there's a whole bunch of electronics that surround the actual synthesis chip. So they can sound a little bit different, but it's not like, you know, it's not features. They don't sound radically different. And since Sound Blaster is essentially a, an ad lib like it uses the same synthesis chip and it's 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 compatible almost to 100%. It's essentially an ad lib with an uh, added like sound channel, digital uh, sound channel. Yeah, so, I guess I guess we couldn't Brian, I was, have a sound blaster. He had a game blaster, and I don't know the difference. Oh, let's go into that. <laughs> oh, well, should we? Is that well? It's the CMS. Yeah, the, yeah, the Creative it. Music System. So this was actually a stopgap in between Tandy and. AdLib and Sound Blaster, the game, the, sorry, the, the Game Blaster, which was also the creative music system, was also marketed initially as a music-only card. Um, and it has roughly the same timeline as the AdLib. It sounds a lot worse than the AdLib because it is not FM-based. It is essentially, remember I told you that the Tandy was like bolting three PC speakers together? A Game Blaster is like bolting four Tandys together. So it's 12 total channels of square waves that also have volume and stereo. This all sounds and like so, Brian's nightmare. It's pretty, pretty <laughs> much. PCs it, 12 tandies, which is like 40. It's, yeah, 12, piece, remember, it 12 PC good. speakers. It was, no, it was, well, it, I mean, there are a few games that support it really well. I have <laughs> in my notes here, uh, Times of Lore from Origin uh, had some wonderful flanging effects that, that they would gang two channels together and, uh, have one frequency slightly offset so it sounded richer. Um, Rambo 3 is in stereo, not that anyone ever played Rambo 3. So I, I like. I did. I, okay, briefly. There you go. Um, Very briefly. I liked, I liked the CMS. I think that the, uh, the CMS uh, 
was capable of more than what people did with it. They, I don't think it had enough time to get decent support. And certainly when the ad that sounded so much better and was only, I want to say only a hundred dollars more. So, so the ad lib was not just FM though, correct? No, the ad lib was FM. Yeah, it was. It was uh, the sound blaster was the sound blaster was uh, essentially an ad lib with an additional digital output channel. So okay. if you wondered why the sound effects digital were better on a sound converter. blaster, say it again. It's digital audio converter. Yep. Yes. So yeah. instead of yeah, so you could you could output a sampled sound directly output through one channel on the sound blaster. So you would have real sound effects, you know, real tire screeching, real voices, that kind of thing. So that's likely why Brian remembers sound blaster sound effects sounding better. Right. And that's, okay. and that's where you started getting into your, your situations where you'd have a separate music card versus a, a digital audio card. So you'd have, you know, your, your ad lib or, or later on your Roland device for music. And then maybe you'd have your sound blaster to play, just, just play the digital sounds. So you'd have your full experience. Yes. So why you mentioned rolling out, I've, I'm very curious about that because nobody I knew had that. Is that because it was expensive? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh, Tomer's getting up. He's probably going to pull out an MT32 out of a secret hatch in his in his basement. Or something. The one who exposed me to that, you know, when sharing sounds when he started using his Roland, and I was amazed how good that sound. You know, you realize how early in the timeline. Yeah, I have to I have to turn my my computer around, but I could die of my my MT32 and my SC55 sitting on top of each other. Just wasn't that 87 that they Roland MT32 came out? Like way over there. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. All that all that stuff unfortunately passed me by. I only ever had, you know, a regular sound card. Do it again, I only Tom. ever did too. Yeah, I I never heard. There we go. Rolling. There's Tom. Everyone, look at Tomer. Can you can you put him on uncomfortably? There, Tomer just has <laughs> to talk. You, you, and you can you... click on it. You can click on his portrait to enlarge it. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. There you go. Tomer, it's dusty. Yeah. What's going on? You got to clean that thing. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. Of, I've moved um, over a year ago, and I'm still taking shit out of storage. Don't ask <laughs> anyway. So, does anybody know how much those cost when they first came out? Uh, how much? Oh, I believe. A bit. I want to say three hundred forty-nine dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds about right. And how was that compared to? Like I said, too much. Yeah, well, because my understanding of the MT32 is it, it was also one of those things that was never intended really to play audio out of a PC. So the MT. Is a, I believe it means like multi timber, thirty two. Yeah. So it create it has either thirty two more channels or thirty two more instruments or something. I think thirty two more instruments. But you would plug it into your Roland like your Roland keyboard, and it would give you more more sounds basically. I, I remember seeing it as an option in a lot of games when I would configure them. You know, a lot of games. Oh yeah, yeah. So it, it became a thing. Sierra, Sierra especially basically designed yeah. all of their games around the MT thirty two. So the MT32 is just a standalone MIDI synth. Like you plug it in, you control it through a sequencer. Uh, it just so happens that most keyboards are also sequencers, so can right. control one so, of these things. But the PC can also do that. So I'm not so, I mean, when it comes to sound. So you you just said PC synth. So that's different than FM and the. No, the I said it's a standalone MIDI synthesizer. MIDI, MIDI. Sorry. So the, but this MIDI is now a different tech than FM and the pc speaker it's, tech right correct it's it's a different technology but it's also like a different thing uh so fm is uh, in that context the technique for generating sound midi is a technique for 
uh, putting information about sound from one place and, and getting it from one device to the next. So that information yeah, like, could be... Uh, like Jim was saying, they designed that for MIDI keyboards and all that. Right. Yeah, among other things. It's basically synth like sound synthesis equipment. So a lot of musicians... Actually, digital interface. Yes. If so I'm a lot of musicians actually used the MP32 back in the day for uh, producing music and not strictly... Like, it wasn't strictly a gaming device. I don't know that it necessarily wasn't... Like, I don't know that it wasn't thought of as one because it's relatively small compared to most kind of contemporary units and... Uh, there's a different version of it that fits in like a rack mount. So I, I don't know that no thought went into possibly using this as like a, a, a PC uh, targeted kind of sound device, but it certainly is not that by design. Right. So my suspicion is that they and they initially did not think of it for that purpose and it was kind of adopted. And then if you look at kind of the Roland uh, you know, product line following the mt32 they started creating you know these additional devices that had you know maybe it didn't have the screen it didn't have the volume knob and then eventually what was it the la pc1 or whatever was kind of an mt32 on a card and so they started they sort of embraced the fact that this was popular what, wasn't that the sdc one or maybe it was uh, maybe. Okay. or maybe the la pc1 no, was no, you're the, right uh, the lapc one is the mt32 on a card uh, <clears throat> Tomer is thinking of the scc one which, Which was, was the first sound canvas card for PCs. Oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Just the first so it's SC, SC55 on a card then. Uh, correct. Yes, that's correct. Yes. I'm hearing a whole bunch at once. I'm trying because this is new to me, what you guys are saying. So I'm trying to keep up. So maybe, so let me clarify to Brian. The, the difference between sound cards and MIDI devices is that um, when you put a sound card in a computer, the computer is manually driving it. It's setting the voices. It's setting the frequencies. It's turning... Uh, the volume up and down on each of the voices. MIDI is different. MIDI is specifically for music composition and playback. So the only thing the computer is doing with a MIDI device is sending it notes. That's it. Note, uh, you know, key down and how hard and then key off. And that's it. So the, the standalone synthesizers do a lot of extra work the computer doesn't have to do and they sound better. So different synthesizers could sound differently with the same. Oh, yes. absolutely. absolutely. They, yeah, exactly. They can sound nothing like each other. So that's also why some games will have ludicrously high numbers of MIDI devices for you to pick through so that, you know, because the CM32 sounded different than the SCC1, which sounded different than the MT32, et cetera, et cetera. I actually have so fun the... with my setup here because since I only have one kind of a USB MIDI dongle thing, I have my SC55 plugged into... The, the MIDI out, MIDI in, whatever. And then I have my MT32 daisy chain through that. So if I want to play my oh, MT32, cool. I have to turn on my SC55, but mute it. But sometimes <laughs> in some games, it actually sounds really cool if you just leave them both on. <laughs> so there's actually a YouTube uh, channel that I linked in a bit uh, that does experiments with that sort of thing. It's called the Song, Song Card DB or something like that. They actually uh, recorded things like the, the Dune soundtrack in its entirety uh, on multiple devices at once, and they sort of uh, switch between different subsets uh, mm -hmm. on the fly. Yeah, like sometimes sometimes it sounds awful. Here, I just I just linked it. No, yeah. it sounds. Uh, I mean, obviously, it, it, it's not like something you can naively do and expect to sound even reasonable. But sometimes good. it creates like these really cool harmonies. Like it just makes the, it makes it sound richer at times. 
it's more layered. Yeah. Yeah. The two yeah, devices that, are just that's not cool. Yeah. Well, I guess because the SC55, which is a general MIDI module, which kind of later on, I guess, like 93 and or 94 kind of things, the general MIDI sort of became more of a standard. And uh, general MIDI came out in 1991. Yeah. Yeah. But it became more mainstream around 93, 94. Yeah. That's, that's sort of what I mean. I would agree. And, and so I guess the SC55 did MT32 emulation, but it didn't sound exactly the same. So, yeah, it's it sounded worse because the MT32 was you can tweak the instrument parameters and make them sound slightly different. And a lot of CR games did that. Yes. So if you just simply put your SCC1 into MT32 mode, it could pick the the correct instruments, but not accept their tweak parameters. So it always sounded a little worse. Right, and I guess so that's if, why if sometimes. When you started the game, when you started your Sierra games, it would, if you had an MT32, I even noticed this now in DOSBox, it takes a while to load up the game because it's uploading the yeah. bank basically to the MT32. Yeah, that is exactly what I was going to say. Now, if you actually plug in an MT32, uh, what is pretty cool is it has this little uh, LED display in the front that has like, uh, I think maybe 20 characters or something on it. Yeah, it shows and, the uh, if you actually. Yeah, but if you actually, but it, it can also also show messages sent through the media interface. So actually, if you run a lot of different Sierra games, they actually show you messages on the MT32. Yeah, I love that. That, my, that, that screen. Right. That screen is absolutely my favorite. <laughs> Aside from the the sound, is my favorite thing about the MT32. It's a wonderful Easter egg. Yeah, but on <clears throat> on DOSBox too, you can also download the um, ROM files and have those same messages pop up on screen. Yes, well, yes, you can. Technically, you can't because it's illegal. But so let's <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I don't, call, I don't consider it illegal if I have an MT32 in my closet. There you go. Yeah, so that, is, that is exactly what I was getting at. So you did that legally. Good for you. Exactly. The rest of you also do that legally because it's cool. Yes, and honestly, like if you really want an MT32, they're like, they're, yeah, they're you can cheap. get them for, yeah, you can get them like 100 bucks or less on eBay. Yeah. And they are so cool. Like it's just it's 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 so and awesome. To you can find if you're a big fan of music game, you can find um, a lot of the uh, original Sierra stuff on uh, Quest Studios. Yep, Quest Studios has all the a lot of the. Oh, no, you went all you went all robot-y. Uh It Quest Studios moved over. Somebody else took it over. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. but it's back on. It oh, sorry, Tomer, you went robot-y. You're the one that's robot-y. I did. Okay, let me shut oh, up. You, for a you're back. No, you're better now. Yeah. Okay. Videos. Anyways, but yeah, what Quest sort of Studios is. Were they showing on the MT32? Was it just uh, titles of the tracks, or were they little clues for the game? Or they generally show like the name of the game when the game started up, and when you exited the game, it might say bye or. or it, it might have like a smart ass comment, but I mean, it's not like you're not yeah. expected to have that, so it can't. I, I, I remember it. I remember in Space Quest 3 specifically, it says insert Buckazoid when you quit. Yes, yes. I was going to say, I can see Space Quest being a little snarky about things that they would pop up. Yeah, so it's just cool stuff like that. It was, it was, it's really, and I think, I can't remember, if, I think all the LucasArts games just said like LucasArts Entertainment or something like that. Or Well, since we're talking about um, sound, sound uh, canvas MT32 stuff, a little, uh, a little fun fact, um, the Sound Blaster pro when it most games when it when the game started 
uh, would initialize the sound card, which would reset the mixer levels on the, the card. If you didn't know it, the card had a mixer on it that could you can mix the channels. <clears throat> right, yeah. Um, I had a sound canvas at that time uh, when I, I was working. That was when I was in tech support at Creative. Um, and I had my sound canvas ran, routed into my line input on my sound blaster. And I was playing oh, Magic 3. And I wanted music through my sound canvas, but digital audio through my sound blaster, which is what a lot of people did at that point, uh, especially if they had an MT32. Unfortunately, it reset the mixer, which put the line at zero. Mm. So I ended up getting on the phone with the music guy at New World Computing. And he <laughs> ended up having to write a TSR that I would have to run before the game that would ignore the reset of the sound card. Jim, for Jim, the, Jim, for like, the uninitiated. For Jim the is nodding. Yeah, Jim He's is nodding because he, uh, he knows what you're talking about. Yeah, for the uninitiated, a TSR is short for Terminate and Stay Resident program. What this actually means is that back in the DOS days, if you needed like a utility program or a driver or something that would have to run but remain active because DOS could not do more than one thing at a time. So if you, you could kind of do that with a TSR program. That's how... A lot of like old game cracks and trainers and stuff. Correct. Uh, Is it bad that my first TSR was a uh, key grabber so I could get my mom's password? <laughs> yes, no, that it makes is. you it makes awesome. You. <laughs> uh, and and a slightly horrible person, but in a way that we all respect and love. So, Craig, you're talking about how you went with Sound Blaster for digital audio, and then you know another device for your MIDI. Was when did that first become? Well, I guess before we do that, we should talk about the the digital sound cards now, right? Sound Blaster. Well, first, before we get off the roll and stuff, I could go post there, uh, linked the uh, the Larry Five theme on MT32, which I think, which which is good. I enjoy well, not it. the theme, but one of my uh, favorite tracks, like I said. Can you play it? There okay. we go. Nice. Which one's this? What part of the game is this from? I can't remember. The Hard Disk Cafe. Yes. Yes. Not an amazing game, Larry Five, but very good music. Oh, definitely. Nice. It's the next two that were like the pinnacle of the series. Mm -hmm. But this, I think, was the first Larry that I actually ever played. My first Sound Blaster could definitely not create that kind of music. No. Oh, no. Like, it's you have to find, there's a ton of, of really good. I'll find one. Like, they do it a lot with Wing Commander. You do the M Sound Blaster versus the MT32. It's no comparison. Yeah, it's just. Although, although personally, I do have a soft spot for Adlib music just because of how some. Certain songs do sound like what Tomer said with the Dune, the Dune soundtrack. Well, <clears throat> Especially Dune 2 has some really, uh, I'm not sure how to describe it, really dark, kind of moody Dune 2, I felt, worked a lot better with the AdLib than it ever did with the MP30. Like, uh, I, got, I got a song right here that illustrates really well uh, what I mean with that. If I can just link that. Sure. And this song is AdLib now, right? AdLib, yes. Let me. Too many windows. Okay. There we go. That's the one. Do do do. Okay, let's copy that into the other window. I can't. So, I can't stream the audio through Safari that I'm running the Hangout through because then you guys will get your audio again. So I have to have the Hangout in Safari, but run the audio through Chrome so I can. Yeah. Nice. Anyways, here That's we go. Complicated. Yeah, Dune two. 
Exactly. That sound right there. I just love that. Yeah, oh, this is Frank Lepacki. He's, he's awesome. Frank, Frank Lepacki was a damn good composer as it was. He did, uh, yeah, Dune 2. He did Carandia yeah. games, Command and Carandia, Lands of Lore. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, those had good right, other okay, yeah, Lands of Lore, I never played myself, unfortunately. And I think if I'm not wrong, if Trolls was here, he could confirm. So if I, uh, was it last season on the SQ Historian podcast, he got yeah, Ken he Allen. So Ken Allen interviewed Frank Klepacki, which is awesome because he got these two oh, yeah, guys okay. that were composing music talking to each other. Ken interviewed Frank, but yeah. For Trolls' podcast. Well, so I never knew that the difference between awesome. AdLib and, and the Roland sound. So now I understand that one's MP3 and one's FM, right? That's 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 like that's close enough. I mean, the, the reality of it is, it's not predominantly based on wavetable synthesis. BNT32. It, it does like I can't recall exactly uh, what the technique was, but it had like this patented specific technique for sound generation. Um, some uh, linear or something can't recall. Anyway, uh, but linear what arithmetic. So yeah, what those are blaster takeover. Oh, sorry. Yeah, a... yeah whatever. Yeah. Those are technicalities. The, the bottom line is that at the original at uh, sound blasters up until the AWA thirty two uh, had only like FM synthesis for music or digital audio, which is kind of the next thing that we're probably going to cover. So, so is sound blaster the first one to do true digital audio, or what? What made them you know, take over, become the... Uh, it wasn't the first to anything. It was just uh, reasonably cheap and very well marketed and highly compatible with AdLib. So, you know... So AdLib did do digital audio, though. I don't, no, I don't no, no, no. AdLib, the AdLib Gold, I think, was the digital audio card. Yeah, yeah. correct. And it, okay. was, and it was a terrible, terrible commercial failure. It's nigh impossible to get a, a an AdLib Gold. So what do we got? We got the Renegade soundtrack. No. Well, we're trying we, to conquer Renegade, yeah. We're talking um, about Frank Klepacki. Right. Uh, so he was basically as can, like, as you can see, I'm a I'm a big Frank Klepacki fan. That's yeah. awesome. So he was like, he was like Westwood man. So my, but I, I I unfortunately don't own any of his physical. Those Command albums. and Conquer soundtracks, I I really enjoyed them, and I guess that and that and that's a good segue kind of into digital audio. Yeah. Um, so I, I do actually have a few of his songs in my playlist here as well. I'll just link them or at random. As long as you got to do Hell March. Yeah, that's the one I was I was thinking of for sure. Okay, so, Hell March. Why is. does everyone love that track? Because it's, it's just so synonymous with Command and Conquer. That it is. Rebel, Rebel <laughs> it's not that good. Which is funny because yeah, the, the, I don't. The, think... the first game as well had some really damn good tracks yeah. like uh, Mechanical Man and Act on Instinct. Yeah, yeah or No Mercy. Mm. No Mercy. There is uh, there is actually something I want to bring up before we before we go digital audio. Um, okay, then I'll, then I'll I'll play I'll play Hellmark <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Interrupting Panda. Uh, sorry. Anyway, uh, no, it's actually it's actually uh, uh, meaningful the discussion I feel. So one of the one of the uh, kind of hidden advantages of like the old style FM or or general MIDI uh, devices is because they're programmable. Um, you basically you don't have like a recording of the music playing um, through the game engine. What you have is a set of instructions, like a, a music note sheet or something like that. Uh, one of the things you could do with that, which uh, originally uh, Lucas uh, Lucasfilm or Lucas Arts 
uh, put to very good use is you can use that to kind of prearrange uh, like these strings of music that you would be able to piece together to form like a cohesive whole. So you'd get basically a, a dynamic music system that you can adjust based on what's going on in the game. So right. yeah, this is where things, yeah. Muse. Yeah, iMuse, for example, yeah. like you have, but a lot of, a lot of companies had these kind of event-based yeah. music systems. Not as many as you, not as many as you'd think, actually, uh, at least as far as I know, but regardless of how many, like, the, the thing is, this is not an easy technique to, to employ effectively. Like, it takes a lot of uh, creativity and effort uh, on the part of predominantly the, the uh, composer, but also the level designers, uh, the game programmers. Like, there's a lot of, a lot of complexity involved. Um, but it's relatively easy to do uh, when your music is essentially a set of instructions anyway. Uh, whereas with digital audio, I'm actually only aware of one instance in which it was like the same principle was put to good effect, and that's in Tron 2.0. Uh, but we, sh we should probably come back to that when we discuss digital audio. But it's like an enabling thing that the older technologies had yeah. that is really, really hard to do with modern stuff. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that sort of I always, I've, I've complained about it probably on my show. I've, I know I've complained about it on the few times I've been on uh, Space Game Junkie that, you know, the uh, like X-Wing and TIE Fighter, when those games kind of got updated through their various iterations of the original one, the special edition, the blah, 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 and they cut over the MIDI music to digital audio, you know, you had this amazing event-based music system that would help you play the game because the music would change when enemy ships would show up. The music would change when your wingman was destroyed, when you'd kill someone, when, when you know, you complete an objective. So you would know what was going on based on the music. And once they said, oh, no, we have a CD now, so we can throw, you know, 30 minutes of digital audio on there too or whatever, then you just get Star Wars music in a loop. And it was, it was, it was less immersive because the music was just static. Oh, yeah. I remember um, Trolls saying there's some games he didn't like because they did that, right? When they went to CD off, <laughs> he didn't prefer the CD version. Is that? Yeah, it's is pretty that much that. Because you can't, I, 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 I'm sure there are games, you know, nowadays and, and that, that have event-based music with, with digital audio, but at the time it just wasn't possible. Well, I remember um, a game on the PlayStation that I was playing called Disruptor where that was a big advertising feature. And and I felt that effect when you know a lot of bad guys were storming me. The music would just become super intense. And again, you know, because I didn't understand much about audio back then, I didn't know why that was different than other um, games on the PlayStation. But most PlayStation games love doing that CD audio because they had all that space now. Yeah, so and there was, the, and you know, now these sense. days there's there's a whole genre of of rhythm games where what you do, like the whole point of the game, is to make music effectively with with your gameplay. So, but you know, it's it's not quite the same thing. Yeah, I, I personally loved uh, games with uh, Redbox CD audio back in the day just because you could listen to this music outside of the game properly. Just skip track yeah, one. You could, <laughs> and yeah. if you don't, then you bleed. So this is, <laughs> while we're talking about CD audio and Redbook and stuff, this is something that was my first realization of the different types of, um, of music was I had a Sega CD. And mm -hmm. a lot of stuff advertised the Redbook Audio, but there was a specific game, um, Sonic CD, that certain levels did digital audio and certain levels did the uh, the CD audio. And I would actually oh, 
put that CD in uh, an, a regular CD player and skip track one, of course, and and listen to which tracks were the uh, the CD audio tracks, and they definitely sounded better. You know, they were. I think they may have been have live orchestra and stuff involved, but you know, yeah. There was also a huge thing about Sonic CD having different soundtracks per region as well, well right? Yes, exactly. There's a Japanese and American one, yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, what I was talking about, they actually, each level had different time zones, past, present, future, and I think it was, and there was a bad future and a good future, so you actually had four versions of each level, and the good future had, I think, is the one that had the best audio. If I remember correctly, that was kind of a reward for, for making it to that good future. And by the way, did Martin so, just jump on? Yes, Martin just jumped on. So say hi, Martin. Hey, guys. Hey, hey welcome. I, can I you hear me okay? Yeah, we can absolutely hear you. can. Oh, man, I was busting my ass to get onto this call, and I'm so sorry I've only gotten to the tail end of it. I don't want to miss the third one in a row. Oh, we still got some time to, get to, some time to go. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, if you don't mind, could you catch me up on what's going on? <laughs> I think we've been kind of going through the, I don't know if it's intentional, but we start talking about the different kinds of audio tech from PC speaker. We talked about Tandy 1000. We talked about AdLib FM. We talked about oh, Roland MP3. And I think we're now talking MP3. about MP32. I'm sorry, what did I say? MP3. 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 That's later. Freud, <laughs> Freud is Sigmund Freud is currently like banging on his grave from the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more of a Pavlov thing myself. But I don't know psychology. That's very interesting because um, I got my girlfriend the uh, Monkey Island Special Edition, uh -huh. and I gave her. She was really interested in like the music. She thought it was really amazing, and I gave her like a crash course of how sound cards used to work back in the old days and she was blown away about how the different sound cards can make different sounds and make a song sound different and then there's always a debate about which is the real version of the song because right. the composer used a certain sound card over someone else's client and she was just completely fascinated by just the sound aspect. Yeah, and I think we sort, we sort of it, mentioned that in passing. I think one of us did. Is that like, so for example, for from the Sierra perspective i think the mt32 is sort of the the original Baseline. soundtrack and they would and they would kind of down sample everything from there down to the less kind of quote-unquote capable i don't know if that's necessarily true but the less it capable devices yeah no it is until 90 or 91 they composed everything for mt32 and the various sound drivers would try to they would also put some hints into the music as to which was the melody line and which channels could possibly be dropped. And so the sound drivers for lesser cards would interpret that data and play it out. And wasn't it Tomer who was talking about some musicians were making it for the ad lib was their, their baseline? And... Well, uh, I imagine a lot funny. of them did. Yeah. It's not like a thing anyone would probably admit to as such, but mm -hmm. no, it never comes up. It's not like it's shameful or anything, but I mean, where uh, a certain piece of music was specifically composed for FM sound, it, it shows. So you have the, the Dune games as a canonical example. They sound wrong on different media. So, uh, for instance, Dune, uh, the first game, uh, the Amiga version of it just sounds god-awful because the Amiga has, you know, four-channel digital audio, but it cannot... Like, there's not enough channels for kind of the complexity, and also because it was probably kind of a shoddy um, reimagining of the music. 
whereas Dune 2 sounds god-awful on the MT32 and sounds divine on a proper ad-lib. So I imagine that a lot of different musicians use that as a target platform because, you know, that's what people have. So I know we've kind of touched on digital audio now. So on the first the actual sound blasters, did they were they only digital audio, or did they have uh, MIDI and FM capabilities too? They did. They did. Yes, the original sound the sound blasters had uh, FM synthesis. It was the same OPL two two, two chip two. as the AdLib. <clears throat> so that was kind of the death of the AdLib then, when the sound blaster became popular. No, actually, I don't think it. I, it was still just as popular. Because it was still, it was what what oh, okay. Jim said. It was fifty dollars cheaper. So people who were on a budget okay. and wanted music that wasn't just PC speaker ended up going with an ad lib card. I so, kind of think the ad the it, it's it's sort of like the uh, Apple versus Android, PC versus Mac. Your ad lib versus Sound Blaster. Like either well, you, you were a Sound Blaster uh, guy uh, or you were an ad lib guy I, I, or you were both. No, no, no. I'm gonna it's I'm not. gonna I'm gonna throw this out there and and say that I think what really sold the Sound Blasters more than say ad lib was Sierra Games, and then um, Doom. Yeah, Doom just you know when that came out, you had to have a sound card with digital audio on it because you wanted the sound effects. So, for sound effects, not music, on the AdLib, they just use the the FM for the sound effects, also. Correct. Yes, you just had leaps and loops, basically. Okay. More more complex than what you could get with a PC speaker for sure. But still. I always I always thought the Sound Blaster won out because it had a cooler name. <laughs> it was it was a cool name, and that was right in the time when you know Extreme and Blaster and Nate sounds like that were words like that were were rad. rad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it was like a game rad. <laughs> the Sound Blaster also came with some pretty cool uh, software in the box. Yeah, good pack-ins and. It was very well marketed. No, it, Doc, it came out with Dr. Spazzo. Dr. Spazzo, exactly. Dr. Spazzo was the best. So what is Dr. Spazzo? Dr. Spazzo is basically... Come on. Dr. Spazzo is basically a program that... Uh, it's a psychoanalyst with a text-to-speech engine. So it reads out these different lines, and you can type in you know, responses to it, and they'll try to respond to you in the best way possible. But... Obviously, it's pretty limited, but it was just fun to listen to this really broken, uh, synthesized voice going, Hello, my name hey, is Dr. Whatever is in your mind freely. Our conversation hey. will be kept in strict confidence. Exactly. Like <laughs> That's that. it. It was okay. Eliza with a text-to-speech synthesizer it, bolted onto it. So, and tell so my experience that, I have heard of it, but now you played it, I, I do remember that. I definitely remember hearing <laughs> because, that. Let's not so mention the talking parrots. Oh, the parrot. Because I did not at the time know Eliza and I was a bit young, some English sucked and like it, it was a bit contrived for me to understand what Dr. Spates is about. It always felt like it plays uh, as a text adventure written by someone who's, uh, I don't know, with attention deficit disorder. <laughs> <laughs> I finally like had a Too little day. So I make big. I, I finally have a memory that coincides with you guys because I remember playing with that damn parrot when my dad bought a new sound card. And I was like, I could never get the parrot working right. I don't know. I, maybe you know, I didn't know what it could, was supposed to do. Just try to fuck around with that parrot all day and it just wouldn't do anything. <laughs> so the, what, the so parrot was supposed to repeat what you said back to you, basically, in the parrot voice, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it repeated what you re what it recorded back about 1.5 times faster. Yeah, I could never, never once in my life 
did I ever get that damn parrot to work? <laughs> I blame your microphone. Probably. <laughs> I used the I used the creative horrible stick microphone that came with my sound card. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, the stick microphone. Hey, Jim, on the top of your monitor behind you, yes. is that one of those um, speakers? It is. is it, it had the, the, oh, no. I was thinking of um, there was a speaker that came out in around 92, 93 that had two tweeters in front and a subwoofer underneath it. That is it. Here's the sub. Can you see it? Oh, my. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's a sub under and two tweeters on top. It's the Tandy MMS 10. And the reason it's on top of my old system <laughs> is because I uh, have a Sound Blaster Pro in there. And I'm using the PC speaker headers on the Pro to connect to the speaker header on the board. And yeah. that way, I can do sound programming and bleeping and blooping without annoying my family. I can turn the volume down, or I can wear headphones. That wow. Awesome. So you've got nice. a Sound Blaster Pro on an 8088? Yeah, it's uh, one of the it's one of the best cards that will still work in it. Um, I think the highest you can go in an 8088, I believe the Pro Audio Spectrum series still works in an 8-bit slot. Um, and I think all you lose is the CD-ROM interface. I think the sound itself still works. Huh. So it is an it is ISA in there. Yeah, it's an 8-bit ISA port. Okay. Sorry about the phone stuff. I'll yeah. try to mute that. No worries. I was wondering what that was. <laughs> so, so we're so firmly no we are firmly on a digital audio now, right? Yes. All right. We can yes. say. So, I mean, we can jump around all we want, but yeah, let's keep going. Who who wants to talk about the Gravis ultrasound? Apparently, you. No, I don't know anything Ooh, about I don't it. Know. I just remember how Gravis ultrasound. All of this stuff goes over my head, so I've just been letting you guys uh, talk about it. <laughs> I see two hands up, Tomer and uh, Jim over there. If I speak about the Gravis, we'll be here another three hours. So I think Tomer should talk about. It. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to. I'll try to give a, like, an executive rolls. I'll, I'll try to give like an executive summary. I was uh, I was such a creative guy at the time, so so I don't know anything about the the Gravis Ultra. And you're, you're the Canadian. You have no excuse. <laughs> we have everything. Because Tomer Tomer not provide visual aid. Because Gravis is a Canadian country, uh, company. It is. I didn't um, even know that. Oh, okay. Uh, did you know ATI is a that, Canadian yes, company? Yes, yes. ATI oh, okay. and, and Matrox. Uh, yes, that's true. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, so um, quick overview of digital audio before we move to the Gravis because it kinda, uh, it's kind of appropriate. So, and I'll put uh, on Hell March in the background. All right. Okay. So when it comes to digital audio, uh, you really get basically two to three uh, kind of types. You either get basically uh, CD audio, which is something that we'll, we'll need to cover separately because uh, it has like technical ramifications, mm. or you have like one or more channels of uh, digitally mixed audio. And by digital audio, what we mean is sampled audio. So basically you have, um, regardless of how you put these together, you basically have recording sounds it might be speech, it might be recordings of musical instruments, it might be a whole orchestra, it doesn't matter. Basically, MP3s are like the, the most uh, commonly used today form of digital audio. Uh, but in the context of like the 90s and certainly gaming in the 90s, there's really three kind of uh, distinct forms of digital audio that, that it's worth talking about. The first is just PCM audio. Uh, which is kind of what you get with uh, with your sound blasters um, of the day. So you get like one or more channels of digital audio, and it's 
Uh, PCM stands for pulse code modulation. You don't really care about that. The bottom line is it's recorded audio represented digitally as bits on your computer. So you can store it, store it as like WAV files or compress it, store it as MP3s, play it back through uh, um, you know, any sound card that has a digital to audio converter. That is like the simple uh, form of digital audio. So most games in the 90s would have like uh, a digital audio channel where they would play, you know, if you play Doom, you have all the bullets, the bullets going on, and you have your demons going, and all that stuff. All of that is digital audio. Don't forget um, the doors. And the doors. Mm. Sort of the other, uh, the other kind of form digital audio tends to take is, uh, it, it's kind of, I don't know if it's really a, a distinct thing, because technically they're the same, but uh, multi-channel, tracked audio or tracked music is is it, it's worth looking at because it kind of bears uh, on how game sounded in the 90s so whereas you would have in the early 90s you'd have a lot of games uh featuring like fm music or music playing on the roland 30 uh, mt32 and would kind of use the sound blaster only to sporadically play like a sound effect and and kind of that's it that's what they did with it uh, what you'd have are different games that would use uh, tracked music, you know, kind of like sheet music played with real digital recorded samples and mix all these together and play them back through whatever sound card you had. So uh, the difference between these would be Doom had kind of uh, general MIDI uh, soundtrack playing in the background on whatever sound hardware you had at the time. And uh, Sound Blaster based typically sound effects. Uh, conversely, you'd have things like uh, Star Control 2 or One Must Fall 20, uh, 2097 or uh, Jazz Jackrabbit that would use on the PC tracked music and mix yeah, like multiple audio channels. Yeah, it's, it's what is called the mod files, which mm -hmm. originated on the Amiga. And the reason that is distinct, or, or at least I feel it's distinct from like what most people perceive as digital audio is because it's technically a lot different and, and it has different limitations and, and advantages uh, contrast with just sound effects or CD audio. And then, of course, you have your third thing, which is CD audio, which is just uh, musical tracks recorded physically on your CD that on a PC, the, the CD drive could receive a command to just start playing any one of these musical tracks and it's completely it's it's done completely separately from like the CPU. So it frees up your computer to do just about anything that it would do like, but you know, it's very limited because it's basically an external device just playing, you know, a music track. Uh, so that's the two downsides of CD audio is space, right? It used a lot more space on a disc. There's there's a number of these. First, it used a lot of space. Second, there is a, a very significant lag. Uh, between the command being issued to the device and the music actually starting to play. And that has to do with the, the, the physical reality of what CD-ROMs had to do in order to play music. Uh, so you couldn't just switch from one track to the next like very cleanly. You'd have this half a second or a second lag, depending on your CD drive, sometimes even more. Uh, between you know the game issuing the command and the music actually starting. And that's On why the CD other hand, couldn't respond to your gameplay, right? Uh, sorry. That's why the CD music couldn't be dynamic. It couldn't. Re they, you couldn't that even is, switch to another track just because that, that guy showed up. 
Yeah, that is the primary reason. Yeah, I mean, it, you is, might be able like, to do it, but it would be pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah, and also there's the space consideration, as you mentioned, which is that CDs typically hold 74 to 80 minutes of CD audio, uh, CD quality audio, uh, and that's it. So basically, you're limited to just that, and that that you know any any kind of game data that you would put on CD is just you know just instead of music, you have to pick. Mm, yeah. and do both. So Jim so there's just going to learn that. Seven boxes out of his closet, so we should maybe see what this is all about. Oh, me? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. We were starting on Gravis Ultrasound, and Jim is probably dying to show one. <laughs> I got a real I'll explain right why that's cool. I have a real quick question about what you're saying about size. And is you mentioned that MIDI was just instructions to play. So MIDI was the opposite CD. It, it took up almost no space, right? Yeah, like if you yeah. know right now, you can go like on Quest Studios and download a MIDI file, and it's like... 20k, 10k so kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so what's 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 going on on, on the video is that Jim is showing various uh, versions of uh, the Gravis Ultrasound. Now, the Gravis so Ultrasound was a, a series of sound cards made made by Canadian company Advanced Gravis. Woohoo! Um, and there's there's a number of different variants of it, but two kind of primary ones. Uh, the thing about the Advanced Gravis uh, or Gravis Ultrasound, as it's better known, um, is that it's it's advanced in the in the uh, engineering sense. It could do a lot. So basically, it was a highly programmable chip on a sound card. It had uh, it had its own memory, so you could upload samples. So you know, whereas with uh, with Sound Blaster, you would uh, basically load up the sound into the system's memory and then instruct what is called the DMA controller to kind of shunt the sound from main memory into the, you know, to the sound card for replay. Which uh, was the Gravis. No, it wasn't, it wasn't actually slow because it was a, a kind of a separate device on your motherboard that okay. did that like completely asynchronously. Um, it had but, its own RAM. So once you uploaded the samples, that was it. And you did that before yeah. the game started. So okay. what Tomer was speaking about before, sorry for interrupting, Tomer. Um, I, just, yeah, I, feel, I feel like I can summarize quickly. Um, so when you play Doom or Duke Nukem and you pick how many sounds you want to play simultaneously in the setup program, it's the CPU that's mixing all of those sound effects together. If you want a, you know, an explosion at the same time as a bullet at the same time as a monster yell, the CPU is mixing all that together to output through the single <laughs> sound blaster channel. What made the Gravis ultrasound cool, and later, uh, to defer to Craig, the AW32 cool, is that they had RAM on the cards. You could upload your, your sound effects into that RAM, into that sound card RAM, and then the sound card would play the multiple channels simultaneously, completely independently from the CPU. So not only did it sound better, but it didn't steal any CPU time away from the main program. So you or memory or memory. That's right. So you could. So you had a little bit more memory available. Uh, you could have um, a slight frame rate improvement. Uh, and but most the main thing is that it just simply sounded uh, better because the CPU didn't have to cut corners trying to mix it all in real time. Yeah, and it's worth noting that uh, actually for CPUs of the day, because we're talking early '90s, like '93, '90, '94, '95. Uh, CPUs that were kind of popular back then were, say, 4E6s. Uh, as it turns out, mixing audio, uh, especially with high quality, on these CPUs, even a Pentium generally has a hard time uh, mixing more than, say, 20 or 30 channels at most of audio together. 
So the more channels you have running at the same time, the harder the CPU has to work to mix all this together. And uh, the Gravis Ultrasound Connect could actually do 14 channels at once at like the highest CD audio, like CD quality audio, uh, which would mean that, you know, like 20, 30% of your CPU would have to be spent just doing that, uh, which means that the frame rate impact may not necessarily have been that, you know, negligible. Yeah. Well, depending on how much computer sucks. Right. So yeah. with the ultrasound, you're really getting into the realm of having like an, an onboard kind of sound processor. Yes. Like you would have these days with a with a dedicated 3D card. Yes. Yes. Cool. And so is there a difference between uh, so uh, I, I always remember okay. the, the Gravis Ultrasound Max. Yeah. So, a... so there's there's a number of versions of Gravis Ultrasound. I'll let, I'll let Jim probably explain because you remember better. Well, I tried to. I couldn't immediately find my original Gravis, or unfortunately, my Max. I have some later ones, but the original Gravis ultrasound was just that, and it allowed you to add, I believe, up to a megabyte of RAM on the card. Okay. Later on, they came out, and it could also record and play back regular sound. Uh, later, they came out with a, a more cost-conscious card, the the ultrasound Ace. Uh, which was this yeah. one, and the Ace uh, could have uh, up to, I believe, 512 meg on the card, uh, sorry, 512k on the card, and could not record, but it was lower cost, so it was a cheaper way to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have later ones, uh, like the... Uh, yeah, I think the PNP. So here's my here's my PNP. And uh, and clones of it. Uh, I have a Viper Max in the back that I, that I didn't drag out. <laughs> and those were... <laughs> Hey, the Viper Max sounded good, um, <laughs> and they were um, based on a, a better chipset that had less limitations. You could add a lot more RAM. They were more like the A32, where you could start adding, I think, up to 16 meg of RAM on the card. Um, and those mostly had those were mostly for Windows support. Unfortunately, by the time those more advanced cards came out, I think the need for them had diminished. We were now into the Pentium Pro. Pentium 2, 233 megahertz. Uh, I think it's mostly Windows 95 that, that really yeah. kind of yeah, put the file on the nail in the coffin. So it's worth, noting, it's worth noting uh, that one of the reasons why Jim has a stack of these uh, and that I know what they are is because the Gravis Ultrasound was kind of the, the favorite sound card for anyone involved in the demo scene uh, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which the fact that it could mix a number of sounds altogether. It was perfect for uh, Amiga-style kind of mod playback, and you could do all of that with, like, zero CPU impact. So it was a great card. It was, it was somewhat somewhat underutilized, yeah, I feel. It was like getting a free Amiga in your computer. You <laughs> yeah, definitely. Play audio with very little CPU, and not only that, you could... It was, it was even better. Channels. It was like getting, like, three or four Amigas together because it could eight. actually do more. I think it's, like probably, eight. it's probably, like, the first time uh, PC users did not need to have, like, an inferiority complex to Amiga users hardware-wise. <laughs> So it's a great card, anyway. So uh, I, have, I have a question. Um, the demo scene that you're talking about, are you talking about those programs people would make to, uh, like, uh, it, there were, like, a side programs that would try to yeah. exploit as much of the powers of the sound card as possible? Yeah. It, it, programmers showing off to impress their friends? Yeah. Yes, that's the, that Pretty is the demo scene we're talking about. 
But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an oversimplification, but close enough. It's basically executable <laughs> art on your computer. Doing things made because by you can. drunk 16-year-old yeah, people. I, I actually I actually love watching that stuff on YouTube, the things that people can do nowadays with old computers and old sound cards is, like, crazy. Yeah, Jim That's especially. The- yeah, Martin, you missed Jim's intro. He, he, oh, he's man. Quite- <laughs> He's the I, man. Was, I was I was the team leader and, and framework programmer for 8088 miles per hour. So just search for that and uh, you can find lots of information and, and video of the, the demo running. So I love that stuff, too, uh, primarily because the hardware has stayed exactly the same for 35 years, but all of our knowledge has collectively increased. So it seems like every year yet another limit is broken. So that's, oh, that's my amazing. That's why I like the demo scene. So I don't know if I'm going well, forward not just, in time. Not just that demo either, but also oh, the, yeah. the ones that came before that, 8088. Uh, domination and corruption. Corruption and domination. Exactly yeah. those two. That's so, yeah, I don't know if I'm going forward in time or back in time, but uh, I had a friend who had a Disney sound source. I have one. You were going backwards. In time. I was, I was going to mention this on the, like, probably we're going to have, like, an esoteric shit uh, shootout there or something. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah Disney Sound Source was basically a clone of the Kovax, right? Yeah, well, it was a, a sanctioned one, I think, or a licensed one, anyway. So uh, while Jim is, is bringing it over... Rummaging uh, in his closet. <laughs> just a, just a I point. only happen to know about this stuff because I saw it on Lazy Game Reviews. So, yeah, so it's, it's actually pretty well known in North America because it was uh, relatively easy to find. Uh, you basically had like two separate devices. You had the Kovac speech thing and the Disney sound source that are not exactly exactly the same, but are kind of compatible. And what these are, and Jim is showing it right now, is uh, these are uh, basically digital to analog converters that are wired directly to your parallel port. There the you Disney go. sound source also had a button <laughs> speaker and uh, amplifier. And what you do is you plug it into your uh, oh battery, shit. That's like a nine volt battery. Uh, Hardcore. Uh, yeah, you don't see those anymore. Uh, anyway, you plug either you know either device into your computer's parallel port, and what it does is through um, by issuing uh, bytes basically by writing data to the port, you can actually drive the digital to analog converter and get a rudimentary kind of 8-bit uh, uh, digital sound. Uh, the disadvantage is you have to program. It's a little bit similar to the PC speaker in that way. You actually had to. That, that's the parallel port uh, mail connector. Jim, is that, that just like an RJ16 or whatever, like a phone plug? No, uh, it is, yeah. Yeah. RJ11, nice. I think. Or RJ11, can't get sorry. it to focus. Sorry, yeah. it's, uh, it is an RJ11, yes. Yeah, RJ, I just got the number wrong. Yeah. So anyway, I like that the, they realize that you might only have one parallel port, so and you still might want to have a printer. So it's a pass through, right? You, yeah. you plug one end into the computer and put the printer in the other. Yeah, it it uses different pins from the parallel port, as far as I remember. But basically, you have to uh, drive the port. Like you basically work the CPU real hard to kind of bang bits out the port uh, to to the digital to analog converter. So it was very CPU intensive, kind of in the same way that the PC speaker. Uh, digital audio was, but obviously it gave, because it's designed for this, kind of, it actually gave way, way better results than the PC speaker ever could. That's correct. What he said. Yeah, no, it's it's very cool. I just remember I have this one friend who had, he had a, a PS2 and he had a Disney sound source 
plugged into it. And I always thought it was the oddest thing in the world. It might have been one of his only options. The PS2 didn't have a standard ISA bus. You couldn't put sound blasters in it yeah, unless it they were micro, micro channel something. Yeah, MCA. Ah. Yeah, that's esoteric stuff. Yeah, so a lot of Kovox and a lot of Disney sound sources on PS2 systems. I see that. I had no idea. I, I, I learned so much stuff doing these things, guys. You're you're awesome. There was a creative card with for Microchannel, though. They were one of the few vendors that actually made a sound card for Microchannel. Correct, and they were ludicrously expensive, as I recall. And they ludicrously didn't tell us tech support people when it was released until we started getting <laughs> phone calls. <for> it. <laughs> it's like, what the crap is this thing? <laughs> well, it's got our logo on it. We must be, you know, responsible somehow. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so was this supported by a lot of games or just Disney games? Oh, yeah, actually, a lot of games supported. It's that's that's a good point. So a lot of games supported Kovacs, and uh, Kovacs was a, like a dumb device, and you could also build your own. There's a lot of demo scene productions that support what they call an LPT DAC, and they even included a little text file that showed you how to like make your own. Here are the resistors and a little diagram to put them all together. Um, the Disney, yeah, that's how I built mine eventually there you uh, go. a few years back. Because you, you didn't get those outside of North America almost at all. Pretty much. The Disney Sound Source was a very short-lived. It only had about, a, I want to say, an 18-month to two-year lifespan. It was also a parallel port DAC. Um, and it had a buffer in it, which could be used to lessen the CPU impact needed. but. By the time it came out, I think a lot of people were migrating away from uh, parallel port DACs because one of the other advantages of the Sound Blaster, even the first one, was that it supported something called DMA. And DMA is a way of just simply saying, here's my sound in memory. Could you play this for me, please? And it would go ahead and do that without any CPU inter intervention. Whereas, you know, parallel port devices like these, the CPU had to send every single sample to it manually, and that impacted game performance. I'm just surprised that Disney put their name on on sound hardware. Does anybody know the, the history of why there was a Disney sound card? I think they wanted to include, uh, uh, they had a couple of game titles, but you see just as many educational titles that support <laughs> the sound source. Um, Buena Vista Interactive was Disney's uh, software arm, and I guess they felt that this was an area they wanted to go into. Well, Brian, you were asking, you know, there was all these sound devices and all, did a lot of games support them. Um, back then, you actually had a couple people who were writing drivers specifically for various sound cards for games, and then they would license the drivers to the game manufacturers. Um, you know, no different than how we do it in Windows now that there's drivers for each device. Um, you know, and, and until Windows came along, you had to rely on these third-party um, driver writers to actually write something that could support it. That is a, a bit oversimplified because uh, what happened was back in the day, you did not have kind of a standardized, standardized sound programming interface. Like, you didn't know... Uh, ahead of time, how you're going to be doing the programming. So the driver for the sound card and kind of the software actually dealing with the audio, whether playing it, mixing it, uh, you know, mixing it, loading files, etc., were tightly coupled. So what you would sell is not the sound driver as such. What you would typically sell is the whole um, um, uh, sound API. library for your right. game. And one of the more uh, kind of popular ones was... Uh, uh, 
by Miles. a Finnish guy called. Uh, well, there's Miles, but that that came later. One of the earlier ones was actually DSMI uh, by Finnish author Otto Kronz, uh, whom I've actually run into at a conference uh, a year ago, which was really really cool. Um, so yeah, those like there was a whole market for kind of. Uh, as there is today, really. I mean, Unity can be thought of as kind of an extension of the same market, basically selling developer tools for uh, game developers to, you know, so they can focus yeah. on their game and not on bullshit technical stuff. I want to give a shout out to John Ratcliffe. He provided oh, also created too. Yeah, yeah, the audio, the audio solution was the name of his set of drivers, and so any game that ran in real mode DOS that only needed to play one sound at a time. You'll see these setup programs for it, uh, like for Chess Master 2100, and um, that's the only one that comes to mind. You run the setup program, and it's got like like 30 sound cards. It was crazy. And that was John Radcliffe's uh, The Audio Solution. And, and Tomer's right. It wasn't just you can support all these cards in your program. It was here's an easy API to do all the work for you to put sound in your program. Well, and and, is, the, and the two biggest names at you know say you know early '90s were Radcliffe and Miles. They did they yeah, they, they probably did ninety percent of the games out there, or provided the API for ninety percent of the games. Yeah, right. Miles and Tomer said this music. is much more much much more common these days, but back then, yeah, to have kind of a, a common API to do a thing is, is very revolutionary. Yeah, they even teamed up and made their products compatible with each other. Miles for the music right. and uh, Radcliffe for the sound. Cool. So at a risk of uh, of kind of derailing this or, or maybe uh, putting it on a different track, I figured that once we hit digital audio, because there's kind of a lot less technical stuff going on and a lot more uh, just anecdotes and, and good music, uh, maybe we should just do like a couple favorites each or something. Yeah. So we already talked CNC. So we talked Hellmarch. Uh, what do we what, what do we want to say from from original Command and Conquer? Mechanical Man, do it yeah. up. All right. Let's let's find some Mechanical Man. Just do it up. Because <laughs> I guess like like for me, I, I especially, oh. I'm pretty sure that Command and Conquer was. I think the f the first uh, the first digital audio game I played. CNC thing, radio. <laughs> there's, well, there's so many of them. Like di digital music, or just yeah. digital in general? You mean digital music? That and Mech Warrior too. Yeah. Uh, so here we got some mechanical man. So I could jump a little further where it gets all crazy. I especially remember this song because it was in the trailer for Tiberian Sun, which was included on the disc for the original CNC. Right. You, you can call it a trailer if you want, but it was more like we're making a sequel to this game, but we don't know what it's going to look like yet. So here's some yeah. stuff. It, it, it was entirely pre-rendered footage, which <laughs> was not indicative of what Tiberian Sun actually ended up looking like. That's Exactly right. <laughs> or playing right, like. I mean, I mean, I mean, like, uh, Command and Conquer came out in 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 '95, and Tiberian Sun didn't come out for four more years. <laughs> yeah, and they had a trailer for it on the disc. I mean, it's impressive that they they were thinking ahead. And between that, they still made Red Alert, which also had a trailer on the original CNC. And right. I still think Red Alert is probably my favorite CNC game. I don't know. 
No, no, no. It's Command of, it's Command of Conquer uh, for me, the original one. Like I, I, I start out with Red Alert. Like I, I, you know my story with Red Alert. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but when I went back to Command of Conquer, I fell in love with it way more. The atmosphere was way better, and Tiberian Sun I think is better than Red Alert Two. But that's not a very popular opinion. <laughs> it's not a very popular opinion at all. But um, mine is even worse. I'm, I'm, I'm I think me. they were all terrible. <laughs> For me, for me, the games have a nostalgic quality to them because I often watch my brother play them, but I was terrible at them myself. So, right, I mostly like them for the uh, for the FMVs and the music, basically. And if people could just get back on FMVs and not be terrible at it, uh, her story, yeah, that... the bunker. I always thought Star Trek Borg was pretty good. Oh yeah, are you talking about the the one where Q is there yeah. and he's where Q yeah. is constantly making that was a good one. Yeah, that's because they filmed it on the Paramount lot with the actual Voyager set, and it actually looks pretty good. Right. A lot of I, I had this like big aversion to FMV games at the time, so I missed a lot of them because I was like, "Oh, FMV! I don't want to touch this with a ten foot." Uh, they're, they're they're kind of a guilty pleasure for mine, but we're getting <laughs> off topic there. Oh, a lot of people have turned that into a movie on Facebook. Out of Facebook, um, YouTube. Sorry. Oh, cool. Search it on YouTube. You can just watch the whole plot through. Where they've just taken all the scenarios and and made it's about the length of a full episode. That sounds perfect. But uh, getting back on track, talking about digital audio and all. (laughs) Sorry. uh, I think my first game in that regard was the original Little Big Adventure, aka Uh Relentless. Yep, yep. uh, Which I originally played. Uh, with MIDI music only, and when we later upgraded to a different sound card, I think it might have been... Uh, God, I can't remember the name anymore. An audio drive? I forgot who created it. Uh, ESS audio drive? That yeah, exactly, design. that one. Okay, that's when we also uh, got, got for the first time CD audio, and I was blown away when I heard this track in particular, which I just linked in the chat. All right, good, because I was trying to find one, and you did, you did the work. Thank you, sir. I uh, came prepared. I made an entire playlist of songs that I wanted to reference. Oh, my. Oh, wow. Look at you. All right, so here we go. At the last minute, I might add. Oh, that's okay. Oh, yeah. No, I remember this, obviously. This is wonderful. It's nice. It's very, like, airy and kind of relaxing. Yeah. Like, I could see he's kicking back and having a drink for this, you know, after a tough week. Just a very nice, immersive kind of track uh, to ease you into the game, basically. And the sequel had its own variation on this, which was even better, in my opinion. But, like, but yeah, this is very this nice. is good. So for me, uh, CD audio-wise, yeah, I think I've mentioned MechWarrior 2. And so so for me, MechWarrior 2 was kind of the uh, the CD that I would actually... I had so many copies of it because you, you'd get MechWarrior 2. Like, you, I, I bought it, and then I bought, like, a sound... I think I bought a, my Voodoo, my Voodoo 1, and it came with, you know, MechWarrior 2 for Voodoo 1, and then I bought something else. I think I ended up having, like, four copies of MechWarrior 2. <laughs> Just because they came packed uh, with stuff. And there's one track specifically called Arkham Bridge, which I am trying to get. I have the YouTube thing here, share thing, and the window. And yeah, this one, my friends and I, for some reason, were very obsessed with, with this particular track, which you may or may not 
remember. And I just had to do something with like the strings. It was all like very epic and important sounding. Yeah, this definitely does not sound the way I pictured that game would sound. I've never played MechWarrior 2, by the way. Oh, just the, the music? You should go, just go, go on YouTube and, and look up MechWarrior 2 in-game oh, sounds. Like, they have the whole track listing there. I barely remember MechWarrior 2, but I remember I playing it for the first time at my cousin's house, and I was used to um, Command & Conquer songs, and Starcraft and like all you know all the just the regular soundtracks kind of electronica e sort of stuff yeah. and then i heard i heard this and uh it, it's the music kind of was scary almost yeah it's like it's, it's very ominous like it's, it's, orchestral it's yeah I, I was i was pretty much ex expecting something electronic for a game like this and uh, instead yeah it's more orchestral i guess I can't remember if Mercenaries had more of a kind of rocket, rocking sort of soundtrack, but the MechWarrior 2 and all the clan stuff was very kind of orchestral. Well, they were the clans were very serious. Right, exactly. So, so the music. So it made sense, yeah. But it was just like, yeah. So this was the one where I always accidentally played track one and blew out my ears, and then and then skipped. Oh my it. god! I I just <laughs> remembered. I never actually played any of the MechWarrior games, but you know what I did do? I saw the uh, Battletech cartoon series on TV way back <laughs> in the day. That thing is awesome. I don't know if you can see what I screen shared. Yep. That's the yep. that's my game directory of all the game soundtracks that I own. Probably half of those I actually own on physical CD. Oh, nice. Whoa. Hey, so I'm a, I'm a huge collector of, of game soundtracks. You need to. Oh, me too. I, I don't nearly have as many physical albums as you do, but I have a shit ton of uh, video game music myself. I usually just get my video game music from. Um, oh man, what's it? Oh man, I'm blanking on the name. I can't believe it. Spotify, Napster, no. Overclocked, <laughs> Overclocked Remix is where I get most. Oh, yeah. Remix, yeah, 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 for sure. Overclocked Remix is a great source for, uh, well, video game remixes and. Uh, covers yeah so I, much I, cool I, stuff there I about a thousand although, although they unfortunately yeah. uh, tend to emphasize console music a bit too much for my liking well yeah, Martin, martin's our console console representative so yeah i mean like if if you want to get to my all-time favorite music that's not command and conquer um believe it or not there's two like for 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 game boy uh, there's a game called Final Fantasy Legend. There's mm -hmm. three of them, but I'm mm -hmm. going to talk about the first one. The soundtrack on that game for a Game Boy game, I, as a as a kid, I thought it was amazing. As an adult, I still find it amazing that uh, they're able. That's to the game that was originally called Saga, right? Right, right, Saga. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, Saga has been re-released like eight million yeah. times in Japan, but it's but Final Fantasy Legend has never had a re-release here in America. Yeah. Uh, but the music in that in that one, especially the overworld theme, I, I just adore it. And on the Super Nintendo, um, a lot of people look at me weird when I when I when I bring this up, but I find that uh, the soundtrack for Stunt Race FX is probably the best soundtrack in the entire system. And what's interesting is that the composer who made Stunt Race FX, that's his only known credit for music. Period. Yeah, I can't find the composer anywhere else outside of Stunt Race FX. Huh. And it it's a freaking amazing soundtrack. So here and, is the I found the the overworld theme for Final Fantasy Legend. 
Now remember, this is a Game Boy, right? So I, I don't even know what, what sound chip. Do we know what the sound chip in the Game Boy was? Like it couldn't have been. I don't know what the sound chip was, but I do know the the programming. I mean, this soundtrack is actually well known for game audio people, um, console audio people, because it was hard for them to do that. It was considered almost impossible for a Game Boy to have complex sounds when it was first came out. Right, because it does sound quite complex for like I, I'd give this like NES, you know, no problem. But but Game Boy, this is pretty cool. Well, and that's that's a lost era of audio, you know. If you want to hear some, if you want to hear some Game Boy reverb, you should play the battle music for um, the uh, Final Fantasy Legend. Hmm. It's got some crazy reverb in there that they managed to pull off. So this is like kind of back uh, on the other side of, you know, the PC speaker kind of trying to hack it to do what it didn't need to do or it wasn't meant to do. You got the same same idea here on the Game Boy. Well, yeah, this is a, this is a lost art that we're talking about right here is how to make sound sound good on limited audio you know nowadays it's, it's whatever you it's can record funny, sorry it's funny that you call it a lost art because in uh actuality it's more like a, a newly found art there well, is very like a, a renaissance chip chip tunes yeah. right. the last few years now people for are us, actually people are actually composing music loud well, and, and I mean, for like mainstream games, all mainstream games now, all the audio, all the soundtrack is recorded. You know, it's, it's, it's not created like, like we're talking about here, where they had to figure out how to make the sound come out of their device. There's nothing technical about anybody producing soundtracks for current games. It's just like a soundtrack for a movie, you know? It's just, uh, which, is, which is quite an undertaking in of its own. But, oh, uh, no, it right. is. But that's what I'm saying by a lost art is back then. You, uh, just, you know, somebody who could compose for audio for a movie couldn't just make audio for a Game Boy. They, they would be lost. They, you know, well, where's my violin section, you know? Well, you don't have one. You've so, got this chip. <laughs> it's funny you should... Um, it's funny you should mention that because actually uh, it turns out that a lot of early musicians for computer games actually, um, you know, were practicing musicians before that doing various things. So you have like one example, which is certainly not the most kind of well-known one. Um, there is a gentleman uh, called Jim Cuomo. Uh, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his last name right. He wrote the soundtrack for uh, Defender of the Crown, among other games, uh, especially like earlier uh, Cinemaware games. And as it turns out, he's uh, he's he's French by birth. He lives in Paris nowadays. Um, and it turns out that he's a you know practicing jazz musician. Uh, he has like a band. He's uh, involved in a number of things, uh, and that's that's where he started off. And we're talking about like 1986 when Defender of the Crown came out. Um, and just for bragging rights, he actually sent me uh, like uh, a CD with versions of uh, game music that he wrote that he redid with like actual instruments after the fact. So it's pretty cool. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is you'd be surprised how many uh, professional musicians made the, the switch to doing video game music, uh, actually in the early days. I suppose either because of talent or the technical aspects or just because it paid well, maybe. I honestly don't know. But Do you think that's what happened to Stunrise FX? Because, like, if, if you listen to them, me... Keep going, just playing some Defender of the Crown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. No, 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 no. You need to if stop you, that. That is not. That's that, not that the, the new. Yeah, that's no, the new one. horrible, horrible oh, that's, remake. Oh, that's the, the new one. Now, if you want the original soundtrack on Amiga, uh, I have it on my website uh, with permission, actually, recorded from an Amiga. Uh, hold on a sec. Let me get you the, the link. Sure. The PC soundtrack for that particular game is actually kind of not that impressive, but that's because it, it was a pretty straightforward use of the PC speaker and the original Amiga music is actually very iconic. So, Could you, yeah. could you, could you play... Um... The main thing, the stunt race effects for everybody. Sure. And yeah, that like that is such a high octane intro. It's the main. It's just the main menu uh, song, and then the songs for each of the tracks are so. This each one's awesome. I Night Ride is probably my 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 favorite one, but let's see what I can find here. Like I I always see like top soundtracks of all time, and I don't think stunt race effects ever gets any credit. I see Easy Ride. Is that the one, or is it? Yeah, that one might be it. Okay. Gentlemen, I, I gotta go. So thanks for. Oh, it was fun hanging out with you guys. That's great having great, you. Awesome. All right, well, good thanks so much for coming. We're gonna wrap up pretty soon, but uh, yeah. See you, Craig. Have a, have a good one. Cheers. Great. Have a good day. All right, so let's see. Stunt race. This Martin, little... if you go to Moby Games, you can look up the composer of that. He does have a few other credits. Uh, oh, uh, I, I, I... oh, good, because I. I... <laughs> that's easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the mountains. Yeah. Here, I'll find another one. Dude, what platform is that on? Is that the Super NES? That's Super yeah, NES. That's I, I think the music is be- is is pretty good because it, uh, it it uses the FX chip, and I think they were able to do more because it was offloaded. The the graphics were offloaded onto the FX chip. Well, the SNES was essentially a, a small wavetable card, kind of like a miniature Kravis. So, um, I, you know, I don't know if it made the music any better, but it, uh, the Super FX did offload some graphics. Um, the music was probably the same, unaffected, though. But there's a lot of people who were talented with the Amiga and dealing with only four channels of wavetable. Now you get to the Super Nintendo, you've got, I think, either six or eight. And uh, some Super Nintendo soundtracks sound really good. Definitely. Oh no! Absolutely. I have some. I have some. Some good favorite Super Nintendo soundtracks. Probably my favorite console music of all time is probably uh, the Moon theme from uh, from Ducktales on the NES. Well, that's, that's on the oh, NES. yeah, that was great. That one. So, and that, actually, that, that is a great song. And and surprisingly, I think I mentioned this over on the the Discord server. It's I I found a uh, a lullaby version of it and it's like the only thing that calms <laughs> oh, my yeah. daughter down. That's <laughs> from uh that's from the uh one of the composers on OC Remix had a kid so all the other o- OC remixers got together and made an album where they kind of babyfied and lullabied a lot of famous video game music for Yeah, it's called the 8 8-bit baby is that the one? That's the one that I've I've found at least on Spotify. 8-bit. Yeah. It's a ba- it's a really good one. Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> hey, so uh, it's getting a little late. Uh, before we uh, adjourn, maybe we should go around and mention one or two titles that for which the music or the sound, you know, really made the game for us. I think so. So how about you, Jim? You, you started us, so. All right. I put my foot in my mouth. Um, <laughs> still, still qualifies as a DOS game, although not a lot of people think of it uh, as one. I think that the music and the atmosphere... In Fallout, the original Fallout was oh, yeah. 
for it's sure. Yeah, it's just and in fact, it's so good that in when you play Fallout New Vegas, uh, which was uh, partially done by the same people, you can they they reused some of the music. So that was a nice nice surprise when I played Fallout New Vegas. And about the other one, where I feel like the music really truly helps define the the steampunk nature of the game, and I think it was DOS, but I apologize if it wasn't, was Arcanum. And it was also by the same people. The soundtrack in that is all a four-string quartet. Mm. And uh, it not only is the music well composed, but it really fits the atmosphere of an 1880s alternate universe cyberpunk, not cyberpunk, steampunk kind of game. That's amazing. Very cool. How about you, Akago? Oh, sorry, what? So a, a soundtrack that's particularly notable to you, kind of your favorite PC soundtrack or Dawson pre-Windows XP gaming era soundtrack. Oh yeah, it has to be Dawson pre-Windows XP. Well, well, obviously my obvious choice would be The Neverhood, as I said uh, uh -huh. probably in my review as well. It's my favorite video game soundtrack of all time and my favorite video game of all time. It's got a great figured. soundtrack. It's oh, hilarious. Definitely. It's very, very wacky. It's very unusual. It fits that game like a glove. And it's but, uh, memorable as heck. I can still, you know, I can still scat to uh, the Neverhood soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, but I figured, I figured, I figured uh, that would have been a bit too obvious of a choice. So instead, I'm gonna go with uh, Pinball Fantasies. <laughs> He's like, I'm looking through a list, looking through the list. What do we got? Yeah, that one was supposed to time. be one of mine. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Oh. Who brought it up? A pinball pinball fantasy. fantasy. That was me, sorry. <laughs> okay, well, that, one, that one's yours. I'll pick another one. All right. How about, how about B. Ryan? Well, see, some of my, my strongest memories of, of audio and games were when I first got my, my sound card. And I was playing Commander Keen and um, Wolfenstein, and I went from blips and bloops to actual sound effects and real, and actually having background music because both those games had no background music. So in hindsight, when I go back and listen to them, you know they're not spectacular in any way, shape, or form. But for me, they're just memorable because that was that awakening of PC audio for me, you know, finally breaking free yeah. of that PC speaker. But my favorite to actually listen to now uh, is Mist, the Mist soundtrack. Um, I said in previous podcasts that uh, I got a mono right when I first got uh, CD-ROM and it came with Mist, and so I I would fall asleep to playing that. So I'd actually really fall asleep to the Mist soundtrack. <laughs> and to this day, now if I want to, you know, fall asleep, I can just fire up that soundtrack. Amazing, amazing. How about you, Martin? Well, I, uh, it, for PC, you know, Command and Conquer, any of them were, were great, but I have to say. Then my runners-up would be Duke Nukem 3D uh, and Star Fox for the Super Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Star it's, Fox had a great soundtrack. Oh, man. I, I, there's something about... There, there's something about the whole ensemble of the Star, Trek, Star Fox soundtrack that really gets to me because I, 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 it has this same theme. It's like... And they splice that in every single track of the game, track of the game, and I love it when there's a common theme and all the same song. Mm -hmm. um, it's similar. It's similar to what they do in the Ninja Turtle games, where you have that da 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 da, and then like they use that catch to like 
trying to transition uh, you setup. into different yeah yeah they, they, that that setup for the rest of the song or sometimes they'll 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 tease it and I then right at the end they'll, I think they'll it's called it. a late motif yeah that sort of thing yeah mm-hmm. great Ryan how about you yeah I was gonna say mist um, and and thinking more about the sounds too than uh, than the music but it it just you know the, the sound really drives. Very, very nice. Cool. Tomer? Um, oh. Oh, Ryan, are we done? Sorry. Oh, am I back? Yes. Oh, is, is, yes. 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 Okay. I was I was saying mist, but more for the sound than well, I think the music's the music. incredible too, but the, the sound really um was was great. It was one of my first sound card games, I think. Right, there's a lot of atmosphere in mist. Yeah, a lot of you know, the switches and the buttons and oh just yeah. Really really uh, really engaging there. Brings you in. incredibly memorable. Yeah, yes. definitely, definitely. Yeah. Okay, oh, I. Uh, oh. oh, I thought Tomer. Yeah, that um, right, you want to? You want to go ahead? I don't know. What are we gonna say? Well, I, I, I did find a different pick. If uh, if you. Sure. Well, Tomer, do, do yours, and then we'll we'll do that, and then and then Brian had one more. So I would have a, a really hard time picking like one or two games from this list, but uh, I'll, I'll pick the ones that probably are kind of the most unique or, or at least do something very unusual. Um, so once uh, my top pick would have to be uh, once again, Tron 2.0 because oh, yes. that, that game is severely underrated. Uh, it had issues like it, it's not perfect. Uh, gameplay wise but it's it's absolutely beautiful and it plays really really well the music in that game is just absolutely fantastic let let me link here it won an uh, award this is this is like the end the end music uh it's by nathan, by nathan grigg uh, if i remember correctly um it not only manages to kind of bring tron into the 21st century it's like an updated uh, but respectful, respectful kind of adaptation of Tron. Uh, it's also great music, but it's also dynamic, like I mentioned. Yeah. It's dynamically strewn together throughout the game. It's just beautiful. Oh, it's super, super good. Yeah. I'm liking this. It's uh, definitely way better than the Tron Legacy movie. <laughs> yeah, I did not appreciate that song. Like, uh, I don't know why so many people just love that the soundtrack for that movie. I thought it was a huge, a huge uh, turn off compared to the earlier kind of Tron entries in the Tron franchise. Anyway, uh, Tron 2.0, highly recommended. Um, the second game I want to give a shout out to. Uh, I had a a huge kind of a dilemma trying to decide between. Well, Pinball Fantasies was was also on my list, but that's not even technically a PC game, that's an Amiga game. The PC just uses a mod player. I mean, the PC port is, is amazing. It's beautiful, but uh, it's not a PC game. Uh, what is a PC game, though, uh, I, I tried to decide between two games that did kind of the same thing differently, but very well. Ended up going with uh, Star Control 2, because right. Right. it did. It, it had it used tracker music, it used four channel modules, um, kind of uh, in the vein of an Amiga soundtrack. But it did two things um, very, uh, I think, in, like it's unique in two ways. First of all, the music was composed by a whole bunch of people 
they basically uh, went on a BBS said, oh, we have this uh, competition for writing music to a game. And if you win, you get you know a small sum of money and your music gets in the game. So a whole like slew of people submitted a bunch of modules. You, uh, Jim, Jim just wrote in the chat that uh, he's probably the only person in the world who does not <laughs> like the music for Star Wars. Too. Now, see, the thing is, it's it's hit or miss. Like, there's a lot of different music in the game. There's like 30 tracks, I think, and they're all vastly different from one another. Uh, there's like seven or eight different composers, different styles, different. Like it, it's it's a complete mess if you take it at face value. But it's if you if you consider the fact that they started off by inviting people to write music to the game in a fairly esoteric and very high end format for the time, because this is 1992. Uh, module players for PCs weren't even common in the demo scene in 1992. So this is pretty uh, pretty advanced stuff for its time. Uh, it could play modules on a on a PC speaker on a 286. It could do like it supported a whole bunch of uh, technically impressive stuff, and it did that while actually you got to play the game, like during fight scenes. So mm. I think between the how technically impressive and early this game is, but also uh, to my mind the fact that. Certainly not all music in that game is, is brilliant or even decent in some cases, but there's a lot of gems, uh, and, and I would count particularly, uh, like, they did a lot, they made a lot of smart choices in uh, assigning one out of a pool of completely random kind of music files they had to the situation in the game. So there's a lot of gems in there, and I think it did a lot of a lot of things right and very very early. Cool. In case you were wondering, the runner-up would have been One Must Fall 2097, which oh, just had tracker music, and it was great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Moving on. So I could go. You had one more, and then Brian had one more, and then I think we'll have to call it a call it a day because we're more than the 35 minutes over time on account of our technical issues at the beginning. Yeah, okay. So I did have one less than obvious choice other than the Neverhood, and that's an obscure little FMV game, which, you know, I mentioned before, that's kind of a guilty pleasure for me, called Braindead 13, <laughs> which is by ReadySoft, a company that ported over a whole bunch of arcade Laserdisc games like Dragon's Lair and Space Ace and whatnot. That was one of their original games. And it's very wacky, it's very cartoony, and has a soundtrack that appropriately reflects this. And, you know, even though, you know, in type of typical FMV game fashion, you go through each scene, uh, you know, you have to press the uh, right button at the right time or else you die. That sort of thing. So you repeat each scene, like, dozens and dozens of times before you so find So you really get to out. remember the music. <laughs> yeah, oh, but definitely the music... Uh, to me, never got old because it is a very diverse and very funny uh, kind of soundtrack. And one of my favorite tracks is when you get to the hedge maze, which I will link right here. Okay, let's see. Copy. Next over. Second. Oh yeah, it's got like sort of a, 
oh, it was a Day of the Tentacle sort of deal to it, like a little bit zany. That's what I was thinking too when you first started playing. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, basically the entire game, you're being chased around by this uh, Igor thing called Fritz. So <laughs> I, I think this track especially conveys that very well, the sense of being involved in a wacky chase. Absolutely. While you're navigating this maze f full of all these different monsters and obstacles and whatever. Very cool. All right, Brian, so you had your uh, favorite console title yeah, and then... I uh, then Since we'll console games day. got mentioned, and when I first listed them, I didn't mention console, but um, absolutely by a, a million miles, my favorite sound um, and, and music from games is Legend of Zelda. From the first Zelda oh, yeah, for sure. to the Super Nintendo. And I should say, every Zelda game, I've always loved the sound. Um, you know, I got the Zelda poster there. We got that from the... Uh, from the I, it's a, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's a toss-up with me between Majora's Mask and Wind Waker. Like those two soundtracks were definitely the, the top. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, my wife bought me tickets for my birthday last year for uh, the Symphony oh, of the lucky Bastard, and it was. Yeah. I gotta say, I I didn't fully respect um, you know symphony music live before seeing you know my absolute favorite music of all time played live in front of me and, and i got emotional and literally you know teared up hearing it oh I, no it's amazing it's amazing. i can't explain why hearing it live in person made me tear up but yeah that is absolutely my favorite music of all time game or any other is uh, zelda music so nice and just I, to I wrap it up ryan yeah that. ryan mentioned in chat dr mario and i, I oh, yeah. love the dr mario <laughs> theme so we gotta we gotta play that uh, I, I find the game frustrating but yeah, the music is, is a lot of And fun. now that's going to be stuck in my head for the next month. My mother-in-law still plays Dr. Mario. That's the only game she plays, so I hear that soundtrack all the time. Go on Spotify. There's this guy, Parental Floss, that does these themes with words, and his Dr. Mario one's hilarious. It's like, I am Dr. Mario, and I am doing things. It's like, it's, it's hilarious. But anyways, all right. So Thank you, Joe. No problem. So that was really, really great, guys. Thanks a lot for, for coming. I know some folks have been watching and there's been some chat going on both on the YouTube page a little bit and on the Discord and all that. So uh, let's just run through the list of, of you all real fast. You can tell us if, if there's anywhere to find you and plug anything you want to plug and then uh, we'll run out. So we'll go through the list again. Akago, where can we find you? And uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, where can you find me? I still occasionally post videos over on my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, I'm Iridakago. Uh, I s stream on Twitch TV. I'm Irid underscore Akago. Haven't done so in a while, but I plan to get back to it Me too. one of these days. Uh, that's pretty much all that's going on right. at the moment. Cool, Brian? B, Ryan? Um, I'm not really on much. and you know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Just Brian Haskell and um, you know other stuff. Oh, HD, oh. Brian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. of, of course, I'm on, I'm on Twitter as well. I'm a year doc ago. Same uh, deal. Absolutely. Jim, I know you've got a, a real cool place to find you. Well, I'm not uh, not as active in Moby Games as I used to be, but the uh, best place to find me is uh, Moby Gamer on Twitter. M-O-B-Y-G-A-M-E-R. Awesome. Martin? I don't really have much of an online presence. Uh, I'm kind of in between living situations, but... Uh, I do have to say uh, that I do plan on streaming when I get my computer rig back up. But uh, other than that, you know, I just have to say that even though I, I came at the tail end of this uh, little party, I, I actually learned like a lot more than I thought I was going to learn about video cards. So I'm really glad I uh, was able to uh, sneak in. 
Awesome. Ryan, how about you? Yeah, I'm just on Facebook. I'm on the Discord, but nothing to plug. Just uh, love hearing all this kind of stuff. It was awesome. Awesome. You'll be for life. <laughs> and how about Tomer? Uh, once I Tomer mute. Uh, well, you can find me on uh, Tomer G on Twitter. Uh, basically, if you can pronounce my name, you can find me. It's uh, pretty <laughs> internet unique. Perfect. Uh, but I don't know why you'd want to. So, you know. I don't buy. If you are interested, you could you could seek about. Yeah, if for whatever misunderstood or, or confused reason you wanna you wanna get in touch, you can find me on Twitter, send me an email, whatever. Um, pretty easy to get. Hey. You you definitely don't have the most complicated name I've ever heard. In <laughs> fact, your name is pretty easy to remember. Like Tomer, you're a guy who tomes things. I guess. <laughs> you, you, yes. <laughs> okay. I, I usually say I'm like Tom only more, but uh, I think that's such a bad joke that people just uh, are insulted that I didn't put the effort to come up with something better. <laughs> uh, that, that works too. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, uh, so that's that. So I guess upcoming on uh, with the show, uh, we have, I think there's three guest shows in, in the hopper. We've got one coming on uh that game that's from, that, no book, from that guy. Scream. That's it. I have no mouth and I must scream. So uh, if you've got, uh, that's from Jenny. So she's going to be uh, sending me that in the next week or two. And now that I've said it on the show, that you got to do it, Jenny. So you promised me. <laughs> but anyway, so if you guys have any comments about that, uh, send them my way. We've got another one coming on a Mind Forever Voyaging, which is great because I am not a, uh, a text adventure guy. So... Any comments on that? That'd be great. And uh, Trolls is going to be doing a show on his, his one of his games that he keeps talking about on these things, Cyber Empires. Are you Are you sure you want to like? Yeah, is Trolls going to be like? Uh, is he going to be a very explicit? Trolls yes. Trolls is a is a professional podcaster. He does he does so much stuff. That he's, he's professionally explicit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just put I'll just put an explicit tag. No, Trolls is very nice when he comes on my show and he doesn't swear all that much. No. Only only when he stops paying attention. These things don't count because he's drunk. <laughs> isn't isn't he usually like how come these don't count? Oh come now, he's not that bad. Anyways, uh so then and then obviously there's my uh upcoming show, which I think uh, I'll probably get to before the end of the year because I'm gonna have time over the uh over the holidays to finally get the Star Trek the Next Generation, the final Unity show out and done. So uh I've got a bunch of comments from you guys on that already, so so we're good there. But uh I might even stream a bit more of it. So uh yeah. And now you guys get to hear what my voicemail thing sounds like. My answering machine. Okay, there we go. That's all done. <laughs> Anyways, so that's great. Thanks, you guys. Amazing talk. This has been definitely, I think, one of the most uh, technically complicated and informative of these things. And uh, Yeah, and uh, Jim, Jim and Tom were pretty much stole the show there. Well, that's okay, because we love to learn stuff. So. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Well, I may have asked a, lot, a little bit too many questions, but I definitely learned a lot. No, that's great. That's why, like I said, I love these things to be to be what they are. You know, I'm not here to direct the conversation or say, ah, this is the hangout or this is what it's supposed to be. This is for you guys to come and, and hang out and have a good time. So that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. All right. So that's that. Thanks, everyone. And I guess uh, say bye and we'll, uh, we'll head out. Bye. Hey, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. I'm, thank you. I'm Always. happy. You guys are awesome. It's been great. Right. Thank you. Cheers. Battle control terminated.
been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastriani. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join the unity.